Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, everybody. My name is Joe Armstrong, and thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all blessedly without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Elizabeth Goodfellow. Drummer, percussionist, and multi-instrumentalist Elizabeth Goodfellow has built a career for herself out of playing with an ever-growing number of innovative artists. You may have seen her on stage or heard her on records by Iron and Wine, Madison Cunningham, Calexico, Orquesta Mendoza, the indie pop supergroup called Boy Genius made up of Phoebe Bridgers, Julian Baker, and Lucy Dacus, the New York-based jazz ensemble The Hot Sardines, and the recently multiple Grammy-nominated Allison Russell. She brings a creative approach and a studied work ethic to her collaborations that are rare in the music industry and indeed nearly any other discipline. When you're as good as Goodfellow, people take notice, and it's the kind of devotion to her craft that earned her a feature in Modern Drummer magazine in 2018. And as if that's not enough, she has recently added the titles of singer, songwriter, and composer to her impressive list of talents. Her compositions feature the marimba, angular vocal melodies, and personally fearless lyrics, as well as exploring the creative possibilities of audio looping and sampling technology in a whole new way. Utilizing the ability to layer sounds in real time during a performance, it would be easy to overlook the degree of difficulty in Goodfellow's mesmerizing percussive soundscapes. But go ahead and get lost in her songs. It's a hell of a ride, and it's worth every mallet strike. She released a vinyl single in 2021 called Terror and Trust, and that's a title that could serve as a mission statement for her unique and courageous approach to making music. She makes it look easy, but it is assuredly not. Welcome to Independence Day, Elizabeth Goodfellow. How are you? I'm well, Joe. Thank you so much for having me today. It is my honor and pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, I met you a couple, two, three years ago, as we say in Chicago, backstage at an Iron and Wine show which you had played drums for, that whole tour cycle. A couple-year tour cycle, right? Yeah, yeah, a couple different records. And uh, so I, I bumped into you, and I, even at that time, I was like, man, I want to get her on the podcast because she just mm -hmm. does cool stuff. You really do do cool stuff on the drums. The, the player you remind me most of, honestly, is Jay Bellarose. Oh, thank you. Because Jay, who I don't know personally, but know a little bit, um, hanging his circles a little bit, just like a wizard on the instrument, right? Yes. Not just drums not just percussion it's not there's no line between them it's it's this whole creative thing that kind of tumbles forward yes his playing um inspired me a lot for the way that I approached playing with Sam just because I could tell that the music needed an approach that was drawing not only from like a traditional uh rock place but also orchestral and like yeah. tone painting and and you know textures and jay yeah. does all that stuff so beautifully and grooves so deeply at the same time yeah. if, if you've ever had a chance to see him play live it's just yeah he's got all these wonderful old drums and then 
bells and shakers and just these colors that yeah. bring so much. So yeah, thank you for that's a compliment. Thanks. Yeah, well, the, I would say the same about you. Like both of you do very similar things in that way, not derivative of each other, but you come from that same headspace creatively. And watching both of you is an absolute joy. So, uh, but before we get too far into music, like you know, this has been a very strange time mm -hmm. uh, in our society. Strange time for a musician. A lot of us, like yourself, who made the lion's share, perhaps of your income on the road. There was no touring, but yeah. even at a more base level than that like are you all right like are, are, are your people okay uh everybody more or less getting through this in more mostly intact at least yes i'm very fortunate that um i haven't lost anybody close to me in my like immediate family or friends um but i certainly know many people who've been affected yeah um by what we've all gone through the past year and a half. Um, my family is okay. I'm okay. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Um, how about you? Everybody okay on as, as I like to say, okay enough. Yeah. I'm okay enough. Yeah. You know, this has been a hard time. It continues to be a hard time because we're not out of the woods yet, not contrary to what some people might believe. You know, even with the, even with the vaccines, which I'm infinitely thankful for, People are still dying. People yeah. are still getting sick, yeah. and it's a it's a serious thing. It's a real thing. Um, I've you know I work in the business. I'm not touring that much, or wasn't touring that much at the time when this landed in our laps. But there were some deaths, like in the extended family, which isn't to say that that should devalue those deaths. But I didn't know those people very well. Right. And but I used to live in New York City as well, and oh, I have gosh. some close friends in New York who can list off a dozen or more people they knew firsthand. That died because, as we all remember, if you rewind back in time, a year and a half or so when this first showed up in in America, New York got hit the hardest first. Yeah, it's a dense city, and uh, but you know things are looking better. You know this will this will be kind of a a light motif perhaps in our conversation. It's hard to get out of the shadow of a pandemic, right? Um, but I know that we personally are trying to do that. I know that our society is trying to do that. I know the music industry is trying to do that. Yes. So, uh, and when I think about that, you know, we, let's go back just a little bit. Like when I, in my notes here, when I listen to what you do, like you're all over the place, <laughs> right? But I mean that, I say that with a smile and I say that with, uh, envious is not the right word, but like, uh, you're artistically all over the place, but in a cool way. You Thanks. do percussion, you do drums, you do singing, you're going to play some marimba stuff. Like, that's kind of your new thing. I can't wait for everyone to hear what you've got cooked up with this mm -hmm. marimba and the looping situation and the percussion and the vocals. It is so ridiculously cool. I've spent the afternoon, we've been recording these songs, and it has been an honor to sit here and watch you, like, do your thing, your, like, tightrope act. Oh, Joe, thanks so much for your patience with that process. No, man. <laughs> I'm trying Look, it out brand new here in front of you, so I, it's a really special day. And it's all our listeners. It's not just me, so I'm I'm elated to have you here. Mm. So my first question, I'm going to hear a song off. You've released a, a, a 45 a uh, yes. vinyl. Uh, I was going to call it an EP, but it's really a single, I guess. Yes. Uh, that was in, or just earlier this year mm -hmm. uh, called ter uh, Terror and Trust. That's it. Got it right? Yeah. Um, so I, I know that you've been active, and we can see what you're up to on the socials because everyone broadcasts everything that they do. That's but right. we're going to hear that song in a second. But my question before we do that is, how did you stay creative mm. during the lockdown? Like, what specific things did you do? You couldn't go on tour. You couldn't rehearse with musicians. You know, I mean, obviously that lends itself to doing things on your own. Yeah. But what did you do? Well, um, thank you for asking. Um, one major thing that I did during the pandemic that helped me stay creative was... Um, I, well, the first part of the year of 2020, um, I had just released 
a single called Milwaukee in February of 2020. So um, I, you know, the first little while during lockdown, I just promoted that a little further because it had only been out for about a month. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just, you know, think, think about that for a while. And then from there, um, I started trying to figure out how to perform that song live during, um, I guess that would be April um, of 2020. I bought Ableton and started trying to figure out how to loop. Um, and then um, I started doing a lot of remote collaboration. Okay. I, I had um, spent a week or so out in Tucson, Arizona in November of 2019. And I had also spent a little time in the beginning of 2020 um, doing a gig out in Tucson at the Hotel Congress. If you've ever been there, it is one of the most delightful places to stay and to eat and to hear music. They have several shows a day at this point coming out of the pandemic. Um, so I was able to play Mardi Gras um, at the Hotel Congress with um, my friend Sergio Mendoza, who has this band that's amazing called Orchestra Mendoza, and um, our friend Quetzal Guerrero, who goes by Q Violin. And um, that was the last show I played before this this is a long-winded answer to your question, but no, man, to it's, cut it's, to the chase. It's, it's good stuff. There's no go run with it, man. You've got the ball. Okay. Well, I, I don't want to be, um, you know, taking too long to answer your question, but um, in the the medium-length version of this story is that eventually I went back to Tucson during the pandemic to continue exploring this really, really great energy that I felt out there from the place and the people I was meeting, and I ended up getting an Airbnb in Tucson for about three weeks in September, August, September of 2020 and wrote the bulk of my songs at that time. And it was just like a, um, something that had to come out after not being very creative during the summer and mostly being on input and learning about all of, um, you know, the things that we were focused on over the summer. And then, um, yeah, I went to Tucson and took my marimba, took my recording gear and just isolated myself to process everything. And then I wrote a song a day. And the the premise was uh, keep it under two minutes because that's how long I could record on my iPhone before it would conk out. And <laughs> that was a good constraint because it made me be concise. And, um, and also I went further into working with three-part marimba counterpoint. I write one part and it loop, loops, 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 mm -hmm. second part loops, third part loops, and that's it. So um, I worked in that for the duration of 2020. All right. So before we move on, yeah. explain to the lay person what Ableton is. I know what Ableton oh, is. Yeah. I know that you know what Ableton is. Obviously, people would infer that it's software, but like, yeah. how would you explain to someone in an elevator who's, you know, <laughs> you bump into them and you're like, oh, Ableton, what's that? Uh, it's basically a DAW that lets you um, record in a nonlinear fashion. And what's a DAW? DAW is a digital audio workstation. Right. So again, for those people who don't make music on a regular basis, uh, the way that we musicians make things now has changed drastically. Now the, the digital realm has taken over pretty much en toto. And just think of a DAW as a, sort of a way to get in and out of the analog world. Right. into the digital realm and then you can once it's in the digital realm you can do all kinds of fancy magic awesome things or honestly you can use it as a glorified tape machine which yeah. is the way we did it since time immemorial and just record into it play it back and off you go so it's just that's just little getting people caught up here because not everyone who's listening to the show is a musician got it i encourage everyone to make music 
Whether you're good at it or not, I'm not even sure that I'm good at it, but I certainly love doing it. So my guest this week on Independence Day, Elizabeth Goodfellow, uh, touring musician. She's got her own music. I'm so excited for you to hear this first track. This is a single. You can get this on 45 on Vinyl People. Always buy music from musicians directly if you possibly can. It's called Terror and Trust. And one of my favorite things about this, other than the kooky cover, and I mean that in a good way. <laughs> Thanks, Anna Azarov. <laughs> yeah, is... Uh, is that the, there's a version on side A, which is a more uh, arranged version that is a little more complex sonically with some overdubbing and some cool other elements. And then on the flip side, it's just you and the marimba playing the song solo. So you can kind of get a little stripped down version as well. That's right. Yeah. All right. So the song Terror and Trust, it's Elizabeth Goodfellow on Independence Day. Dig this. If today was a coin, I'd spend it on bread at a market stall. To break by the river with butter and salt You'd tear me a piece with your fingers And tell me that flour and water and yeast Conspired to build a cathedral inside of a crust Well, isn't that just like you? Joe Armstrong, you are listening to Independence Day. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Day, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y. You can also find most of our content on YouTube at youtube.com slash videos. We're on Facebook and other places as well. We've got over 200 episodes, and we've just started doing new episodes. 
now that the pandemic has allowed us enough safety to do so. So we did most of what we did today, masked. We're all vaccinated here at the Independence Day World Headquarters as our, our guests. This week's guest, Elizabeth Goodfellow. Man, I'm so happy to have you here. This is so cool. Thanks, Joe. I'm so thrilled to be here today. It's really a pleasure. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm glad you feel that way. The, the pleasure, the it's, it's pleasure is all mine. So let's let's dive in a little bit. I want to get a little bit of background information on you before we talk about what you're doing now specifically. Because like in your biography, which you were so kind to send, uh, it says that you got your start playing in harvest festivals <laughs> in the San Joaquin Valley, which is the Central Valley in California. Now I grew up in an agrarian-ish community on the far west suburbs of Chicago about a thousand years ago. But what I want you to do, you know, you said you started off pretty young. Uh-huh. The first gigs where you were just not even a teen yet. Nope. And but I. For people who may not know what a harvest festival is or what it's like to grow up in the San Joaquin Valley, like set that scene. What did it feel like? What did it sound like? What did it smell like? What kind of gigs were even available? Oh my gosh. For a preteen even. I mean, I was so lucky. I had a band director in elementary school who would on, you know, just, he was so passionate about early jazz, uh, like traditional jazz, like Louis Armstrong plays, that style. He would start these bands with kids in his band class that showed an interest or thought that he thought would, you know, take well to it. And I happened to wind up drumming in one of those little bands and he would get us the same kind of gigs that his own adult band was playing. We would just, you know, play the the smaller stage at the same festival, but it was uh, really, really fun. Uh, one I remember is the Asparagus Festival. We played at the Stockton Asparagus Festival in like 1995 or 96. And I was probably 12 years old at that point, um, 12 or 13. And uh, we were on the radio. I still have a cassette tape of the radio. Anyway, it was, it was, um, what did it smell like? Well, um, they had asparagus ice cream. So mm. whatever that tasted I didn't like. know there was such a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Is it any good? I don't remember. <laughs> I'm sure it was in some sense. Ice, how, how do you mess up ice cream? Yeah. Um, well, I had garlic ice cream once. At the Gilroy Garlic Festival. Well, and this is a, my friends back in Chicago once upon a time had a garlic party. <laughs> and look, I like garlic. Garlic's great. But uh, And you're right about Gilroy. I've driven through there on many occasions, and the entire valley positively reeks of garlic. Uh, but I'm not sure that I liked garlic ice cream. I don't, I don't know. I have an adventurous, excuse me, an adventurous palate. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's that adventurous. <laughs> I've never tried garlic ice cream either, but um, I think I tried the ice cream at the Prune Festival up in Yuba City where we also had a gig. And then, yeah, so that was, it was like really great experience to start just getting up on stage as a young, you know, drummer and like do the thing where you have to share a kit and make sure you don't take the hi-hat clutch and bring your cymbals and get there on time. And then all these people are watching. So yeah, it was really, really fortunate that I had that. Now... At that age, obviously, you're not driving yourself to the gig. Right. Were your, was your family, is your family, were they supportive yes. of your endeavors, even at that young age? Very much so. Yeah, my parents were very supportive. And I had a really great, I had, they got me drum lessons and my teacher let me borrow a drum set to practice on at home. So I just was really, really lucky. Now, what about in your school? I mean, you mentioned it just a, a few minutes ago. Uh, I came from a school, you know, there were maybe... Gosh, I'm not even sure. There were maybe 800 kids, 900 kids in my mm-hmm. high school. And my class was the biggest class at that time. Now it's significantly larger who had gone through the school system there. Mm. But we had a, you know, for being not a giant school, we had a very robust music program. And we had a great band director and a pretty good choir director and uh, plays and musicals and, you know, lots of opportunities to make 
art in the form of music. And was what was the situation? Was your situation like that in school too? Like you're, yeah, you're, you're describing something that sounds very familiar. Um, I went to school, uh, high school in Lodi, and we had. Um, a, a really, really great marching program. So I marched snare drum, I marched quads for my first year and then graduated to snare drum. Um, and quads are those like Tommy things that you yeah. hang over your, not Tommy, like the who Tommy. No, but like but Tom Tommy, Toms. Like Tom Toms. Yeah. But there's four of them and you hang it over your shoulders. There's metal, like yeah. weird, heavy kind of, it's got to be a torture device. Yeah, my back is messed up to this day, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but then you graduated to snare. Yes. Yes. Um, and uh, my my high school boyfriend also played snare. And so I was just like trying to keep up with him. And I think that's why my chops got really good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I did that. And then I ended up like teaching drumline for a couple of years in college. And, you know, it was like, it was a really um, good way to learn your rudiments and to learn precision and, and tie, like stay on tempo. So um, yeah, very, and then we also had a good jazz program. Um, we had some really great band teachers. Yeah, my whole educational percussion experience was like top notch. I'm really lucky. Yeah, drumline is serious business. I know. Mm-hmm. You know where I grew up, they had it was a big. I mean, there was almost like a. It's it's. I hesitate to use the word cult because that has much more negative uh, connotations to it nowadays right. than it did once before. I guess it always had a negative connotation, but like yeah. there was a point where you could make a joke about something. Oh, the drum guys, that's kind of a cult of drums. Yeah. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. and it was girls too. I shouldn't say guys. I'm using guys colloquially. Sure. But the people who were in drumline, like they had a code and they had, uh, uh, I don't want to call it a click because they weren't exclusive. They didn't exclude other people, but like they definitely had their own thing going within the marching band. I never marched. Because I played guitar at the time, and they didn't have, you know, I know some marching bands will drag a guitar player out and put him up front there. Right, in the pit. Um, in the pit, right. Uh, but I, they, I, but I was, it was impressive to me because we had a very robust, as I said, the marching program was big too. So I remember when they would go and they did Holst's One of the Planets. Oh, yeah. And totally. They'd all come in a big line. They were marching towards the thing. Because there's a high school right at the end of my block here mm-hmm. in Glendale. Oh, yeah. And all summer long, I love hearing the marching band practice. Yep. I think it's great. And then once a year in the fall, I don't really care that much about football. And I don't know anyone who goes to the school. But I go over and I see a game. And they're not very good at football. And the marching band's pretty small. But I'm excited to see that. And it, it's strange to me that a town as big as Glendale, where I live, could have such a small music program. Hmm. It doesn't really... It doesn't compute because my school was way smaller than this high school. And our thing, I felt like everyone in the school was in band, it felt like. It could be something to do with how important football is in like yeah. maybe a smaller town. And then like the music program is um, sometimes can be seen as having to accentuate the football yeah. team because you do the field show and you're at all the games. So maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know how big football is. Yeah, in LA, but <laughs> well, I'm not sure. In my life, Beth, I feel like if if I were king, football would play at halftime, and it would just be the rest would be marching band. It would be four quarters of marching band, just because I'm the music guy. That's always the way I want it to be. Uh, so, so you set the scene a little bit from like your super formative years. Now, did you have siblings that were musicians as well? Or you sure, were... yeah, I have two little sisters. Uh, one sang in the choir, and the other one played trumpet. Um, but I'm the only one who I think maybe I just like slipped slipped around my my <laughs> maybe I was just too headstrong yeah. I'm the one committed to being okay. a musician for profession and were you singing as no. a kid as well non-choir because that'll come back around later when we get into doing uh your live songs here in a yeah. few minutes 
But so you weren't singing at all. That was something no, that kind of came later. I've actually been, um, I've had like a fear of singing um, that I only started to get over in about 2012. And I distinctly remember a time where I had to sing some backup vocals in this band I was in and I could not even get the notes out. Just knowing I was singing into a microphone that was being recorded, I couldn't even. And, and so I have come a long way and singing um, on some tours uh, over the past five years now, five, four years has been huge confidence builder for me, but I still, um, yeah, I think I, I think I now, you know, now that I'm getting hired to sing and I'm getting hired to do backing vocals without the drums, that's, that's been a huge confidence booster as well. Yeah. So, well, you're good at it. I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you're like going farther into that realm. Again, the first time I ever saw you laid eyes upon you was at that iron and wine show. And I was like, Oh, yeah. cool. A yeah. singing drummer, that's great. You know, somewhat unique, just the fact that the drummer would sing. It's it's hard enough to do all the things that a drummer's doing without having a microphone hanging in your face. Oh man. That uh, gig utilized every last brain cell mm. that I had at my disposal because it was like the parts were complicated on the drums and then also we were seeing all of those beautiful yeah. words that Sam has written. And there's yeah. a lot of words. And uh luckily I was singing in harm in uh, unison with yeah. another lady, um, with my friend Eliza, mm. and that made it easier to, yeah. And when you say Sam, we're speaking of Sam Beam. Yes. Because Iron and Wine is kind of a nom de plume, sort of. That's right. For uh, Iron and Wine, Sam Beam, kind of the same concept. It's 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 Sam, and then whoever he's surrounding himself with at that particular time seems to be what Iron and Wine is. I, I think I've heard him say that Iron and Wine is a band with one permanent member. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of bands like that too. Yeah. You know, uh, and he's 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 a brilliant artist. I encourage people to check out his music as well. Yes. Iron and Wine. Uh, now, tell me. So you your you said your drum teacher was loaning you a drum set initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But was there like at that time, both in the world and that time in your life, was there like a drum set that you were lusting after? Like, was it, did you want like the Tama red kit with the oversized toms, Mm-mm. or like so if, so? if there wasn't that, tell me about your first drum set then. Like, when, yeah. what age did you get your own set? So my, the kit that my teacher lent me was like a 1970s stop sign badge Gretsch kit, and <laughs> I didn't even realize at the time how cool that was. And then my first kit that I ever purchased myself was a Yamaha Maple Custom and I got it in the year 2000. I still have it. Um, and that kit I bought, um, just cause it was a good, that was the kit that you played jazz big band gigs on at that time, I guess it was. And I don't really use it that much anymore. Um, now my main kit is a, a Gretsch, um, round badge from the sixties, Champagne Sparkle. And then I also have, um, a CNC kit um, CNC drums that I had custom made for a tour a few years ago. And I'm, I'm with CNC and they're just, they make incredible drums. I love playing their stuff. So yeah. it's, I, the reason I ask is that I felt like most musicians, when I ask a question like this, it's like, I remember having a catalog yeah, and just lusting over like, Oh my God, I want that. You know, seeing, you know, for me, it was always a sunburst Stratocaster is what I want. Now, I was a, I grew up on Pink Floyd. David Gilmore remains probably my favorite guitar player, but I could list dozens and dozens of guitar players that are not far behind him. But I, I saw a picture. I'm not even, I mean, look, I love Dylan. Dylan's great. But I saw a picture of Bob Dylan playing a sunburst Fender Strat. And it just looked like the most iconic electric guitar I could possibly imagine. 
And if you hold a Stratocaster, the way a Stratocaster is designed, there are bevels on the body so that it's, it fits right into your midsection. Mm-hmm. It's routed out on the top and then on the side where your arm goes. And it's just, it's just comfortable. It's a very comfortable guitar. And I, mm. I wanted that so badly. Did and you get one ever? I eventually got one. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And I still play it to this very day. I still love it. And I love the sunburst. I love it when things look like wood. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And as a fringe benefit, I learned this. And the same would apply to drums, I imagine, although some of that might be veneer. But they use better wood on guitars that you can see the wood. Right. If they're just going to paint it green or what have you, it doesn't matter what the wood looks like, the grain of the wood, but they tend to pick choicer pieces of wood. Sure. So there's a fringe benefit to that. Yeah. Um, We talked about your formative years, uh, northern San Joaquin Valley. We talked about your drum set that you eventually got. Now you have three. Or four or whatever you have. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we talked about your community. I'm trying to think of what else here. Because there, there was one other thing I wanted to get in there because you talked about your parents being supportive. Well, I had a I had a best friend that lived next door to me until I was 10 years old. And we made an album together. Mm-hmm. We made an album on cassette on a Casio keyboard that he got mowing lawns. Okay. And if there's anything about my formative years, it's probably that. And my grandpa being a musician. Okay. My grandpa was an incredible guitarist and singer, and um, I have cassette tapes of us sitting together during his visits and him basically kind of showing me how to sing and how to just navigate through a song, but he passed when I was seven, so, um, but that was, both those people were super important. Okay, because that's that's another thing I was going to get to, is that everyone seems to have um, a person. Yeah. Or there was a specific show, like for me, I can take it back to a specific show that I saw, that it was, as soon as I saw that show, I was, I said to myself, self, that's what I want to do. Mm, what I, show was I it? I knew it. There was a, well, there's a kid in my high school. He, he died not mm. too long ago. He's a little, a couple years older than me. Uh, Mike Heaton was his name, Michael Heaton. Mm. And I was in a show choir and uh, with the sequin vest and the dance shoes and the whole nine yards. Never had so much fun in my life, honestly. Nice. But... At the end of the year, we would do this big show in front of the whole school, and then they would do a they do a, a, um, an assembly during school, and then Friday night they would do this whole big production. It's called Showtime, and you you know you did the whole there were choreographed numbers. This wasn't like choreography. This was full on choreography and dancing and stuff, and it was a blast. But I learned a lot. But this at the end of the year, this Showtime thing, they would allow you to do a solo song, especially if you were a junior or senior. They tended to be a little more mature and could pick better material and were more astute performers. And, you know, a lot of times it would be a girl doing a thing from Cats or whatever. Um, the guys would do cornier things. But this kid, Mike Heaton, went up and wrote two songs, or he played two songs that he'd written. Wow. And it kind of blew my mind because I, I always think, like, even at this the age that I am now, I think I haven't lived enough to write. I know that's not true. Right. Because I've lived a number of years and I've had my heart broken a dozen times. I'm sure I've broken some myself. But coming, you know, coming from the suburban Chicago and not particularly unique in any way, standard suburban America in the 80s. And this kid was writing songs. Yeah. Just a couple years older than me. And it was like, it, seriously, it was like, my head blew up. I was like, oh my God, he's almost my age. He's writing songs and they're catchy <laughs> and they're good. And moreover, the entire damn school is standing on their feet yelling because they love him right and i'm a music kid i'm a weird kid i'm, I'm i live in my head i'm imaginative and had, was probably a bizarre child so like at that moment 
so I got into the show choir right after that. And then ended up doing, I, I didn't do a song that I'd written, but I did like, I did Hotel California by the Eagles with mm-hmm. the whole dueling guitar solos and the whole, the whole thing. And then kids were standing on top of the thing, like yelling for me. There you go. And that kind of adulation or that kind of, uh, less adulation and more, I guess, uh, what's the word? I, I, the best I can put it best this way. I was a weird kid, but now they're like, "Oh, but he can do something cool." That is, yeah, I feel that. You know, totally. And it was, uh, yeah. Again, I, it's, I'm trying to find the word. It's escaping me. Not adulation, but it was like the like like acceptance, res- respect, or... or acceptance. Yeah, yeah. It's like, because you know, being an imaginative kid and like being kind of uncomfortable in my skin when you're younger, you're still growing into your body, and yeah. And it really changed my life, like having that thing. And it felt really cool to be accepted by a lot of people. And I think that's why a lot of performers get into this kind of thing. Um, sure. Anyway, did in your school, were you, you were drawn to the drums because of your grandfather? You were no. drawn to the drums because why? Because literally this is how it went down. Like the band teacher, not the same one that started these little bands, but there was another band teacher she comes into my fifth grade classroom and she's like, all right, we need some people to play the drums in the band. Who wants to do it? I was like, me? Like, duh. Okay. <laughs> Who doesn't? And so there are like four of us that yeah. ended up raising our hands and yeah. It's that simple. It was that simple. And then like from the minute I got my first pair of sticks, it was on. Like I was just good at it. Yeah. And that's your career. Because I was supposed to be doing this with my life. Yeah. Period. Hands down. And like before the drums... I was making, I wrote my first song when I was five and it was called Oberopi. And that's why my music mm-hmm. company is Oberopi. That. I know that name. <laughs> and that's a whole character. He was like an outlaw. Um, and, and the melody, it's like, dun, da, 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 dun, da, 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 Oberopi. <laughs> and that was like the first character in the first song. Okay. And, but like the drums, like finding the drums is like exactly what you just described. Like the minute that I, was a drummer and I was good at it. Like my peers were like, Oh wow. Like she's cool now. Yeah. Like I remember like some of the guys that used to bully me in my class, like they would now like kind of just be more, you know, like, Oh, that's Beth. She's cool. She's a drummer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like my songs would never get me that, but like drumming would. And then as an adult, I actually had to take a step back and try to figure out, okay, well, who am I if I'm not Mm -hmm. a drummer? Like, I don't know if you've been through that, but I had to separate out myself from the drums at a certain point because I didn't know who I was yeah. without the drums. Uh, because you asked, mm-hmm. my situation is a little different. Like I, I would never say that I tried to quit music because I, don't, I could never. It's like an avocation. It's a compulsion. Sure. But there were times of my life where I was so tired of playing Tuesday night shows for the bartender totally. and the staff of the bar. Right. Whether it was, you know, sometimes playing with other bands, sometimes my own. You get tired of playing at midnight on Tuesday and you're getting a little older and you're like, I've, I've had it. Yeah. I just can't do this right now. Sure. So I've never quit. Never could imagine quitting. But there were times where it's like, okay, I got to chill out. I got to not do this at the level that I'm doing it for a little while. And I would focus on other things. Yeah. And then... Because I, I, have, I have very many interests. I make beer. I climb mountains. Yeah. I make podcasts. <laughs> I, I, I like doing all these. I call myself a farm league renaissance man because I like all these different things, but I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm good at any of them, but I still do them. It's the Vonnegut thing. But You're pretty good at making beer. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate that very much. Uh, and I do mean that. It took a long time to do what I was trying to do. But it goes something like this. I, so in, in stepping away, I found myself like, okay, 
I'm, I can, you know, I can do other things. I, I'm interested in a lot of other different things. I mean, I'm interested in astronomy. I'm interested in dozens of things. And, but I found myself doing kind of the same things I was doing before. Like, if I got a little extra, say I got a bonus paycheck or something, or earned a little extra money doing something, it's like, well, I, I there's a new pedal I'm looking at. I should upgrade that distortion pedal on my board. I've been really looking into getting a fuzz face, or maybe I'll get a fuzz face clone. And I start researching those, and then I'm down that rabbit hole. And like now I've got it all decided. Like, okay, well, if I use this particular boost, germanium boost with this fuzz face, I'll get a little closer to that Gilmore tone. And then I just realize I can't quit. I yeah. can't not do it. I have no choice. It's a compulsion. It's an avocation. Um, the example I sometimes give is that if you're a lawyer, you might have a predilection to think in the way that a lawyer thinks, or a dentist, or a doctor. Right. But you become a lawyer. Yeah. And then you have to keep being certified to be a lawyer or doctor. And then at some point, you become an ex-lawyer yeah. if you're not certified. You're still an expert in law, but you're not a lawyer anymore. Mm. I tend to believe when you're a musician, you were from the moment the sperm met the egg sure. until the moment when you take your last breath. It's just in you. Sure. And you, maybe you get certified, maybe you get a degree, maybe you don't. doesn't matter. Yeah. You just, you can't not do it. That's the way I look at it. So thank you for asking. Yeah. Um, so we talked about that. We talked about high school. Uh, before we, and we're going to play a song here in just a second. I swear to God. <laughs> but before we do, like fast forward just a little bit in your life. So now you're in college. Sure. And you're studying music in college. Yes, I studied um, classical percussion performance in college. I was also simultaneously in the Air National Guard band of the West Coast. Um, and so, yeah, I was studying classical percussion, um, applying it in a job at, with the Air Force Band and did a little touring with that band as well. That was so much fun. So I your loved... first touring situation? Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was 17. Oh my Lord. And I toured with them, um, as a civilian, you know, like a tryout. Okay. And I got 600 bucks and I, it was like the most money I'd ever. Like a week or per? For the week. Yeah. It was like okay. a week tour. And, um, this was like the year 2000. And I was just like, whoa, this is awesome. And You're like, a professional musician in college. Oh, I was, yeah, I was before that as well. Like I, I think I played my first gig subbing for my teacher when I was like 13, 12 or 13. I mean, it was very forgiving. <laughs> it was a small town, but like I was, yeah, I could play a gig. I could play songs and all that. Um, but yeah, so college, um, I also started using Sibelius in college, the music notation software. Mm -hmm. And I would say that was kind of like a f my first like daw in, in mm -hmm. effect. Like I would spend hours in the computer lab just like writing marimba parts actually uh -huh. like and composing in Sibelius. And I, I would like cut class to just go sit in the cafe and like write in Sibelius. Mm -hmm. um, so Nerd. I know, I know. <laughs> and I thought <laughs> I felt so ashamed at the time because like I wasn't learning how to play my instruments live i was making music on a computer and it was like mm -hmm. very looked down upon in at mm -hmm. least the circles that i was in um so i felt guilty about it and but then like you know now i realize i have all these skills and i'm yeah. using them so way ahead of the curve now my next question is going to lead us into this song i've been building towards Sorry, this yes no 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 apologies <laughs> at all please no apologies uh what you're about to do here in just a minute uh is marimba based Mar yes. Now, marimba is an instrument, again, for people who are not in the know into their mallet instruments, their percussion mallet instruments, is 
Well, you describe it. Yeah. There's it's a, a whole family of instruments that you play in that manner. Yes, it's a percussion instrument. Um, it's a keyboard instrument. So the keyboard looks like a piano, except it's all wooden. It's not white and black. And I play this keyboard using mallets that are sticks with yarn wrapped around the end, like a ball of yarn. <clears throat> and I'm using in this next song, I'm, I think I'm only using two mallets. But in some of the other songs I'll play, I'm using four mallets, two in each hand, which is a technique I, I learned in college. Um, but the marimba has a keyboard of wood, rosewood, and then it has metal resonators under each bar to amplify the sound. Um, and my particular marimba is from the 1920s, and it's an old Deegan instrument. So, Which I learned is, was in Chicago, based in Chicago. You yeah. showed me the patent, the little plaque on it mm -hmm. with the patent from my hometown. <laughs> Always happy to see. Go Cubbies. <laughs> Let's go Giants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is. Uh, well, by the time this airs, we may find out whether the Giants advanced or not because of the... the no, no, no. It's, it's the best of three. Right, right, but this this so, our episode may not air now. Oh, right, for a while. So your team will either have advanced or not advanced by this by the time this episode is released into the wild. Well, either way, I bleed orange and black. Well, good luck. <laughs> Thanks. Like as I said before, we had a little snack before, and the Cubs are playing golf right now. So <laughs> your Giants, I've already done better than my Cubs did. Um, but my question is, before we get into this, this is the question I've been building to this whole time. Why? marimba specifically of all the instruments that you could choose to play is it because you're a drummer and you could play it in a similar fashion because it could be vibes yeah it could be glockenspiel it could be right you know, why marimba um i think marimba because uh i love first of all i just love the sound of it um in college i would move our marimba from the practice room into the hallway <laughs> which i wasn't supposed to do because that bothered other people um but it had this beautiful um, natural reverb in this hallway with all these windows and uh, i just loved that sound and to this day that's the sound i want and i love steve reich so much like his music um if you're familiar with it it's it's mi minimalism but it's also it has all these polyrhythmics and these beautiful melodies and um so i listened to a ton of that i had a professor in college who was really into steve reich when i was a freshman um but the the reason i don't play vibes is because um i the metallic sound and the pedaling i just it doesn't appeal to me and i also don't play jazz keyboard mm -hmm. and i i don't think i'll ever pursue that just because i i it's so hard and i respect people who do that but my sensibilities are drawn in a different direction i really wanted to try to do singer songwriter stuff on the marimba um right around the time i stopped um or right around the end of the tour cycle with iron and wine i realized that this might be something i should try just to see what would happen so yeah yeah all right, so we've been building to this moment. <laughs> okay. What you're about to do, you're about to blow everyone's mind with what you're about to do. And I'm going to set the scene just a little tiny bit. Okay. So, so Beth shows up. She's got this marimba. We set it up in our, in our uh, sound stage here at the world headquarters of Independence Day. And, but it's not just a marimba. So she's, now she's singing as well. So there's a microphone. You'll see this in the video, and I highly encourage you to drop by the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash videos to see this video. So here she is. She's got a marimba. She's got a microphone, so she's going to sing and play marimba. But that's not all. <laughs> she's got percussion instruments. She's got a shaker sitting in front of her as well. Not in this particular song, but there's going to be some clapping and snapping also recorded on that microphone. But here's the key thing. 
she's going to use what's called a looping device or a looping station, which is a big floor pedal thing that sits when you operate it with your feet that records little snippets. Musicians will know this already, mm-hmm. but for the uninitiated, uh, it records little snippets of music based on you, when you start it, you stop it, you, and you press another button and it loops. Yeah. And then you can add things on top of that. It becomes this additive uh, situation. And you can build a song. Maybe you've seen musicians playing at the corner pub doing this kind of thing. And a lot of times it's a solo musician because they're trying to expand their sound and do a lot more. They'll like thump on their guitar and yeah. then add percussion and things. Uh, Jason Mraz, I know, was someone who did that at a very high level. I saw him open a show once for a band that I was working with and he had multiple loop stations and was doing all oh, these super wow. complex things. And it I'll was cool. That. It's 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 unique. It's a very unique skill. It takes a lot of brain power. So I know that you're a genius. No. Because what <laughs> I'm moving so slow and No, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. So but the other thing I want to tease, because we're gonna talk about this coming out of this song, is the fact that you've built up this thing, you start playing around the Bay Area and uh, and then you move to Los Angeles. That's we're gonna right. talk about that when you come back. Okay. Okay, but what is this first song called? This first song is called Milwaukee. And I released it in, I believe it was February of 2020, right before the pandemic. Mm, Yeah, lucky you. (laughs) (laughs) No, lucky all of us. Honestly, this is brilliant. I can't wait for everyone to hear this. This is Beth Goodfellow. The song is Milwaukee on Independence Day. Sinking a 
fish in the shade. There's a star. Look through the lights to find your face. Some ghosts want nothing or nothing That is Elizabeth Goodfellow. We call her Beth because we're friendly here on the Independence Day podcast. That is the song Milwaukee. Came out just before the pandemic hit, which was a pandemic hit in March of 2020. So you said it was, what, February? Yeah, right February. That? I put it out. Yeah. Man, I, I, I mean, I had an album that was due out sometime last year, still oh. trying to get that act together. I had friends. I'm sure you could tell a dozen more stories than even I can. Friends who had whole tours booked in Europe yeah. and... Pfft, Everything all at once, done. Yeah. Uh, but we're making it. Music's coming back. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit later in our interview. But right now, I want to talk to you chronologically. You moved to Los Angeles. Yes. Well, first of all, you, so you were playing in the Bay Area before that. What what precipitated? Because the Bay Area is a great town, pretty good music town. As great I, music town. From the times that I've been up there. Totally. I'm a hardly strictly bluegrass festival junkie. Great festival. I go every single year, except yeah. for the last two years, mm. uh, for obvious reasons. But what happened? Like you're successful in in San Francisco. Yeah, I um I was really fortunate to be playing, making a living playing music in the Bay Area. I was there for twelve years. Um, spent some time in Santa Cruz, and then um, moved up to San Francisco and lived in the city for five years. Um, and I was playing um a lot of jazz, and I um really had um a lot of experience playing you know great american songbook gigs and and even some hard bop stuff and um but then like something happened in 2012 like, a couple of different things happened my I, I had stopped writing songs at this point i wasn't writing at all and um 
I hadn't really written any songs for like five years or at least. Um, I was just focusing on learning jazz ever since I had moved to the city. And then in 2012, Whitney Houston passed away and I heard her songs everywhere on the radio. And I remembered how, I don't know what it was about. I mean, she's obviously, her voice is like none other. And it just, it lit up something in me that had been, you know, dormant. And um, I had been invited to join um, an actual project behind an artist for the first time. I was playing with an artist uh, named Emily Ann Reed, who was on America's Got Talent. And her boyfriend um, played bass and he was a friend of mine and he asked me to come drum for her. And so we formed a band. Um, a bass player switch happened and my, my friend Miriam Spire joined up. And for a while we were singing like three-part girl harmonies and I was starting to face that fear of singing. And then we got on America's Got Talent as this band. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, she was on American Idol and then we got on America's Got Talent and I was like, oh, this is like a whole other part of the industry that I've never tried to be part of, par partially because I got cautioned against it at a very early age. Cautioned against what? Um, like, you know, make sure, like, like people that I was starting to play gigs with were like union musicians, okay. right? And so they were like t steering me in a particular direction. Okay. And they told me don't do certain things. And so I think part of my fascination was like, well, somebody told me not to do this at some point. So I'm going to just go do these things that you're not supposed to do, like play a bar gig or, yeah. you know, like stuff like that. Like I had been playing fancy weddings or corporate parties and these gigs that paid good money. But um, yeah. So and then my father passed away and. Very um, sorry to hear that. Thank you. And um, I think losing him made me see just how truly short life is and how if you really want to do something you should just do it and I'd been wanting to come to LA for a long time probably 10 years and I just I don't even know how I did I just found a place on Craigslist yeah and just moved hmm. like I didn't really even think about it that much I just came here and I decided I was not going to play weddings and I was not going to play um any of the type of gigs I'd been doing before and I was going to just write songs and sell vintage clothes. And that's what I did. <laughs> that's what I did. And I joined one band. I joined this okay. great band called We Are The West. Okay. And um, I just kind of, uh, what's the word, like focused inward for mm -hmm. a while and worked on my writing. And oh yeah, I also played with this great um, songwriting duo, um, under the name of shy boy and they uh that was the first time i played a drum set with like a laptop running tracks and using mm -hmm. headphones and um so yeah i just came to la because i had to <laughs> just okay had to. that's a great reason but now why now setting aside proximity because san francisco i mean there's a bit of a rivalry between the two towns la much larger town tons of opportunities to be an artist type. I don't think it's a particularly good live music town from my experience. Everyone plays here. Yeah. But I've, I've found performing here and elsewhere around this world and around the States that smaller towns in some ways are more supportive. 
Sure. In terms of like a band coming through and playing, like they'll go out on a Tuesday night and LA, everyone's jaded. Plus they've got, they probably playing themselves. Yeah. That same thing. But like, but I guess my question more specifically is, I mean, setting aside the rivalry and all that kind of tomfoolery is like, go why Giants. not New York? What's that? <laughs> Sorry, I said go Giants. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, go Cubbies. Uh, <laughs> playing golf. We're on the ninth, the ninth hole. Uh, the, but why not New York or Nashville or another I, town? Like, why specifically Los Angeles? Well, my parents are from here. Ah, okay, yeah. there it is. And we would come down here. And also because, like, um, I the first cassette tape I ever bought was the Wilson Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> and you're willing to admit that. Hell yeah, come on. <laughs> it's got, like, I think it was, who is it um, on guitar? Is it Lukather or is it... Uh, oh, I'm sure it's Heavy Hitter, Heavy yeah. Pants. It's it's just so brilliant and their harmonies and like yeah. sure it sounds dated but like the very opening of the hold on like those little like uh-huh. electric bongos or whatever they are and the seagull sound I was like you can put like seagulls and like electric bongos and then yeah there's I know there's pain and you're like oh what me too and then, yeah all right but that was super poppy. Yeah. Like, I remember, I think I was, God, where was I when that was the thing? I don't even remember where I was in the world. It was like 91, I think, or 90. Yeah, yeah, I think I was in college, and I I had, like, a a job, like, in an office job, like, the most boring office job. And I think that my negative association with Wilson Phillips can be tied to the fact that, like, all the, like, middle-aged moms that worked in the same office that I worked in loved that pop music stuff that, like, at at the time... Wilson Phillips, like Whitney Houston, you mentioned before, Mariah Carey came Amy out. Grant. Amy Grant, uh, you know, a million artists. And it, yeah. to me, that was just kind of banal. Sure. Because, you know, I mean, at that age, like I was starting to discover, we were just coming out of the 80s, and I was yeah. so elated to have stuff sonically change in music. Sure. Um, I don't hate the 80s music. I honestly don't. I think it's very distinctive. And there's some, yeah. honestly, some really, really wonderful songs that came out of that period. But like as a person who likes to record music, right? After the '80s were done, we started getting into like what a snare drum really sounded like. They tried to get that on on records. Totally. You know, piccolo snares were really big right around then. I remember that. <laughs> but uh, and splash cymbals. Oh God, yeah. Like the the Sting Soul Cages record, which I love to this day. It's uh, Manu Cachet, I think. Oh yeah. Plays on that, but like it's little splash cymbals all over it. Oh man, the uh, '90s were great. Yeah, but then like. <laughs> The 90s, like, I don't know, things, drums sounded more organic again. Totally. And so did guitars, because yeah. we got away from the chorus pedals, and we got away from the reverbs. And I like, love those like, chorus pedals. Like, uh, the Counting Crows record came out, I think, Oh, in man, that record was such a big influence. And it was so, and remains so, for me, just, it feels warm and real, yeah. and, like, you're sitting there listening to these guys do that thing. So, I was, that's just a, that's a short aside. Um but uh, let, let's get back to your thing. We're like, we're getting off on God. I'm, well, we haven't even talked about the Smashing Pumpkins and Jimmy Chamberlain yet. Well, out of my hometown, Jimmy Chamberlain. I'm, I used to work sound for a guy who you talked about not wanting to play corporate gigs or wedding yeah. gigs or that kind of thing. I was doing audio work for a guy in Chicago who had a company who ran a PA system for a lot of those sorts of gigs. And he had a band that would go play all these corporate gigs. And they're playing mm-hmm. Brown Eyed Girl mm-hmm. and Honky Tonk Women and Love Shack and all yep. those songs. Yep. But their drummer was Jamie Chamberlain. What? Word. Oh, my God. What year was that? Oh, man. 90. Well, he he wasn't in the band at that time. 99, 98. But he had, well, no, because he was, the Pumpkins were already big by then. So he had been in my friend's, like, like corporate band before I worked with him. So I, like, I didn't get to work with him directly. Okay. But for forever, like, while he, while the Pumpkins were on their rise, because I oh, was like in Chicago. Oh, like, early. Band. Like, yeah, early. 
Yeah. All right. So he was playing these gigs with this like wedding, not wedding, but a corporate event band, you know, I don't know, Beatrice Foods would have their big corporate party and hire and give them five grand to come play the show. Right. But like, it's still to this day cracks me up to think of Jimmy Chamberlain playing those sorts of gigs. But man, when you're a musician, you know as much as anyone. Yeah. If you're making a life in music, you take the money. Yeah. You can make choices like you have at different points, but... It, it was, I mean, it still continues to be yeah. hard to, I mean, trying to do an artistic path as opposed to, um, you know, just taking, saying yes to every single gig. Right. You're, I mean, I don't know who's really paying attention, but you try to signal something to the world at a certain point, or yeah. at least to yourself. Like, yeah. this is who I am, and this is what I want to be spending my time on. And I'm willing to do this other thing instead of just saying yes to every gig, which for me, you know, um, on and off again is selling vintage clothes. And yeah. I taught a ton of drum lessons too. Yeah. Um, and that's something I haven't done for quite some time now just because I... I realize where I want to spend my energy in the truest sense of that phrase. Right. Because there's a finite amount of musical right. creative energy that one yeah. has. Yeah. Well, it grows out of the fact that there's a finite amount of energy, period, in terms of your <laughs> life. Like you said, <laughs> right. it, you said it before just a few minutes ago. Right. Like life is short. Yeah. And, you know, what's that line from uh, the movie with uh, Red? Better get busy living or get busy dying. Oh, yeah. Uh, ha, not Hudsucker Proxy, uh, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, man, yeah. I have get, not... Get busy living or get busy yeah. dying. That's what uh, what's-his-name's character says. Right. Uh, but so let's, let's keep talking about your music. You're going to play another song here in just a sure. few minutes. But you talked about singing, like how you came kind of late to that. Yeah. You talked about your drummer and who your inspirations were there. What people... This can be a record. It can be someone in your sphere. It can even be yourself. Like, who made you want to sing? Because that's a whole who different thing than drumming. Who made me want to sing? Um, who made me want to sing? There are certain singers that you can't help but sing along with. And recently, one of those singers, for me, every time I listen to Amos Lee, oh, I just yeah. really want to sing along. And um, that's somebody that like makes me want to sing in that, like, very visceral sense of like, I want to sing along with this song because his voice sounds so good and it just lifts me out of whatever I'm experiencing in other parts of the day and I just want to be singing along with him. Um, Who made me want to sing? All the great jazz singers. I really love um, Ella Fitzgerald, of course. Um, But one singer that like I listen to a lot is June Christie. Mm -hmm. And um, my... uh, when I was listening to a lot of June Christie, I was dating a trombone player and he was also a singer and he said, she sings kind of flat, but she makes it work. Yeah. And I've always thought about that because I feel like um, it was like a signal to me that you didn't have to be a perfect vocalist. Right. And you could still, um, David Byrne is another mm-hmm. great example. Like he would say, I don't, I don't think he thinks of himself as a great singer, but he's a storyteller and he's being honest. Yeah. So, um, Yeah. And then another real quick, um, uh, Joey Burns of Calexico, uh-huh. the lead singer of Calexico. Um, I listened to a lot of their records over the course of the pandemic and a little bit before the pandemic and hearing his vocal progression of like how he uses his voice throughout the records that they've made and watching him sing live and like just something about his tone and um, his also honesty, mm-hmm. just the honesty in what he's saying. Yeah. It's really inspiring. The truth is funny from my experience. You know it when you hear it. 
Yeah. Or you know it when you've seen it on the table. Like there's a reason there there are household band names and a lot of the time from my experience we know their names because they're telling you the truth. Mm-hmm. And it's obvious that they're telling you the truth. Yeah. You know, there's a joke. This is I'm paraphrasing someone else's interview with the Stones at one point. They're talking about look if if Mick and Keith write a line about being in a basement room with a needle and a spoon, <laughs> they probably were at one point. Jeez. Right? Now you yeah. don't have to I shouldn't have laughed at that. Well, <laughs> you, well there's a funny aspect to it, but you don't, you don't have to 100% live the song. No. You don't have, no. There's artistic license, a lot of that. But there's still a way to be truthful and speak about those things from a place of understanding or a place of compassion or a place of empathy mm-hmm. um, where that truth becomes plain. And I think that's a thing that you... I guess you can work on that because... like James McMurtry has become one of my favorite songwriters of the past few years i've always been a fan but i've in the pandemic i went down that rabbit hole deep mm. he had a new record come out just very recently i honestly i say this without hyperbole believe him to be one of the best living songwriters in america right now just had a record come out and he, he'll tell you like i don't live these things this is not me i'm writing these songs but he's so adept at casting like what it's like to be an american in this time or a human in this divisive time mm. And he tells stories about downtrodden people from flyover states. Mm. And he's brilliant at it. Now, his father was Larry McMurtry, the author from Lonesome Dove and other well-known works. who just died not too long ago as well. Mm. Uh, but you know that truth kind of thing. Now, speaking of truth, this takes me perfectly into my next question for you, which is, so we talked about who made you want to sing. Who made you want to write songs? Because uh. there are plenty of musicians I know who don't write. They're players. It's another step. It's an extra step you take. Um, well, I wrote my first song when I was five. So I think it was just something that I, I don't know. Like I didn't have like a big moment of like, oh, this is like you were describing earlier, um, seeing your friend in high school get up and, and that you were, your mind was blown by the fact yeah. that he was performing songs that he had written. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have a moment like that. I think I just maybe intuitively heard music around and I, I wanted to make my own music. I don't know. I just always, I always wrote um, mm-hmm. as long as far back as I can remember. I remember sitting at the piano and like Oberapi like is a person to me. And like I wanted to write a song about whoever that was. And I wanted the lowest notes on the piano for some reason because he was a scary guy. Um, but yeah, like later on, there's certainly droughts that I went through and there were people that inspired me to restart um, writing again and... I think trying to take music lessons and and finding that I would get like two measures into learning a piano part and then I would just want to repeat it and sing over it or something. Um, Let's see. Who inspired me to write songs? I mean, Sam Beam, obviously. Like, like, I'm trying to think of a good way to answer this question. I... When I was writing songs, when I first moved to LA, I was trying to emulate like pop songs from my youth because I felt like, all right, this is my direct experience growing up. Let me write a song that Mariah or Whitney would sing okay, and try that. Um, or, or I even tried to write like David Byrne at one point. Um, but I, I think something happened when I worked with Sam where he kind of reawakened my awareness of poetry mm-hmm. and how you could write lyrics that were telling a story but you weren't exactly sure quite what was going on yeah and it was all metaphor and it was all mysterious and magical 
And so he really inspired me to think more about what I was saying and what I wasn't coming right out and saying. And what's mm-hmm. the difference between those two things in a right. song. Yeah, there's the show don't tell aspect. Instead mm-hmm. of just telling, you know, you, 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 you write, create a character, put them in the position that you want to write about. Yeah. Or you, before when we were talking, we talked about like past, present, future. You talked about like Tom Waits always says you should always have a place in your songs. Yeah. Like a, like a specific place. Like there's a song he has called Ninth and Hennepin. That's mm-hmm. not just a town. That's a specific intersection right. in a specific town. When, and then all the, because think about the baggage, both good and bad, that comes along with being at Ninth and Hennepin in Minneapolis. It's what you think it is, and it's what, what, and it's also what he populates that world with when he tells you that song. Um, now, one more question, and then I want you to play another song. Sure. That's cool with you. Sounds I would, can't wait for people to hear this one as well. So this one's going to be a little simpler on the uh, the looping situation because it's going to be mostly you just playing and singing at the same time. And I should never say just oh, because yeah. what you're doing is a high wire act, regardless of whether you're looping all this stuff. But my last question is before Don't you let play me fall, this, Joe. <laughs> I will absolutely not. We have a net. We have plenty of nuts <laughs> okay. and, and beer. Uh, so are there topics when you're writing, this Mm. gets to the poetry aspect, as you just said a moment ago, that you like to visit the Springsteen joke is it's like girls in cars, (laughs) you know, or like the factory, the guy, the factory job or whatever. And like Sam Beam's lyrics from Iron and Wine, you talked about a second ago, very oblique. Yeah. You know, Mike Stipe is like that from uh, REM. Like he's, as a writer, he's telling a story. But you, like you said, you don't know what the story is about, or maybe you do or you don't at the same time. Totally. It doesn't have to be yeah. binary. Right. It just, you know, so, but they're geniuses at doing that. Yeah. What topics do you, that, that inspire you to write? Like, what do you have to get out in song that you can't get out in any other way? Uh, what, I mean, what topics do I write about in songs that I can't get out any other way? Um, a lot of the songs I wrote over the pandemic. I think we're about loneliness. I mean, we've, we, mm-hmm. a lot of us experienced some pretty intense loneliness, but I didn't want to come right out and say, oh, I'm missing this particular person or, cause that's just boring to listen to. Right. I wanted to write about certain situations that made me feel lonely. Like, um, this next song opposite directions is a very specific moment that I wrote about. Um, of watching someone in in a rearview mirror just have their turn signal signaling the opposite direction of mine and how lonely that felt to know I was going to be going back into my quarantine, you know, existence of living. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So. I got you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you. Um, but yeah, loneliness and and yeah, maybe just things, I don't know. Like, I guess the right way to answer that question would be to just say to listen to my music because mm. I can't talk about it. Nice dodge. <laughs> well but done. I can't talk about it. like otherwise I would sit here yeah. and it would be like a therapy session. I'd be like, oh this is sad and like this yeah. happened to me. But like it's in a song because that's yeah. kind of therapeutic for me to do. So No, I love your I love the answer and I love the dodge and I mean that respectfully. <laughs> uh it can be um what I think about writing and I've interviewed lots of writers, songwriters about this. Um, everyone asks, or I don't ask the same questions of everyone, yeah. but I ask similar questions to try to elicit responses. Yeah. And uh, some people are more self-aware about it than others. Mm. You know, some people don't want to be self-aware about it. Some people want to just let the song be what it is. Some people are very intentional with it. You know, Brian Adams, yeah. who I respect a lot as a songwriter, he said once, I remember reading, this is years ago, I read an interview with him. He said, I wrote 500 songs before I realized that one of them was any good. Totally. Regular work. 
every day. This comes up on this show a lot. Yeah. Uh, Ray Bradbury, when he was alive, one of my favorite authors, would get mm. up every morning and sit down at his typewriter and just write yeah. whatever came out with absolutely no judgment whatsoever. No judgment, yeah. Sometimes if he was not feeling well, he would type Q. Or well, I shouldn't say Q. Q's got other connotations now. He would write the letter R. Yeah. S. Yeah. J. Boop, 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 you know. Just Doesn't anything matter. to just be do doing it. it. Yeah. And sooner or later, with, with a habit and with uh, rote repetition comes things. Yeah. Uh, anyway, That's we're going to talk about some more things when we come back with Beth Goodfellow. You can learn about her. She's got some web stuff here. ElizabethGoodfellow.com. It's Elizabeth with a Z, not the S. Uh, Goodfellow, just as it normally sounds. She's on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and elsewhere at Beth underscore Goodfellow. Pick up her new single, Terror and Trust. You can find it at ElizabethGoodfellow.com. And buy it from her personally, because that puts money in musicians' pockets, which I always recommend that people do, because musicians, no matter what you think, do not make the kind of money that you think that they make. <laughs> so this is the song, Opposite Directions. The artist is Elizabeth Goodfellow on Independence Day. Another badass and super ridiculously creative song from my new favorite artist, Elizabeth Goodfellow, who's sitting with me. I'm so lucky, I kid you not, to have her here at the Independence Day World Headquarters. She's played with Iron and Wine. She's played with Madison Cunningham. She's about to be playing with an or- orchestra. I keep wanting to say that the wrong way. Or- oh, Orchestra or- Mendoza. Orchestra. Yeah. I-, I wrote it wrong on my sheet, so I don't want to screw it up. Or- say it again. Orchestra? Orchestra. My brain cannot wrap my... F- the missing the missing R. Yeah, it's just like an orchestra, but without the R. Orchestra. Orchestra. Damn, why can't I say that? Orchestra Mendoza. There you so go. So you're about to do some work with them. But one thing that she uh, enlightened me to is Bandcamp. You can the best place to get her vinyl is on Bandcamp. The URL is cryptic, so don't bother with all that. Just go to Bandcamp.com. Lots of great artists on there. I know sell their music through there. And Bandcamp, as I understand, it supports the artists a lot more than those other sell like sales websites do for music. Spotify rips us off. It's coming and going soup to nuts. Not afraid to say that, <laughs> but go to Bandcamp, look up Elizabeth Goodfellow, and buy Terror and Trust. But that song, Opposite Directions. Uh, we're going to hear some more songs. We're going to hear some more of that cool looping stuff here in a few minutes. Let's talk about some nitty-gritty stuff, right? Because oh, right. you're a professional musician. What does your practice regimen look like or feel like or sound like? Well, um, whenever I'm prepping for a gig, the first thing I want is the lyrics for a drumming gig. Um, 
I I love to get the lyrics and then I want to know what the song is about. That's like a starting point for me, um, which uh, playing with Orchestra Mendoza has been really fun and um, challenging because a lot of the words are in Spanish and I don't speak Spanish. So I'm... No habla español? No, California I mean... California girl. Well, poquito, but like poquito. that's it. And, but now I'm learning so many more words just from, and, and phrases and little humorous things just from having to figure out what is this song about? Like, mm -hmm. what do you mean this song is about a dump truck? Oh, a dump truck is a wrestling move. Mm. Oh, I see. It's like Volcadora. Context. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I like to have the, the lyrics printed out and then I will listen to the song and make notes in the margins of the lyrics. Like, all right, this is halftime. Like this is, um, the full beat right here. This is a breakdown. Like there's an extra bar here. Just make a little roadmap of the song. And then I, um, obviously play it through. Um, but yeah, like I don't, I have a warm up regiment before a show. Mm -hmm. I'll just get out a pair of sticks and play on my knee and do some single strokes, double strokes, paradiddles and make sure that I'm staying in time. And, mm -hmm. um, I don't really have a practice regiment. What is that, a spider? I think it's a mosquito. Oh, no. <laughs> We've got these new mosquitoes in Southern California called 80s mosquitoes, A-E-D-E-S. They're ankle biters. Oh. They're an invasive species, so keep an eye out. Like, we're, we're good because our ankles are covered right now, yeah. but they will. you don't even know that they're, they're there and gone by the time you know you've been... Yikes. They've got your blood, little bastards. Right. And I get... I'm, if there's a mosquito within 100 miles path... They'll get you? They'll get me. So, you're one of those guys. So you're good. Okay. You're, you're covered. <laughs> all right. As long as I'm with Even you, then they'll, you they'll go for Silver you. Lake, you're still okay because they're <laughs> all coming for me. Uh, so, okay. So, like, but so you don't have like an everyday kind of like, say you're not got a, you don't, you don't have a tour coming up. I, well, I'm supposed to be on the road right now. Um, right. But, you know, as things are moving and the, everything right now is a moving target, that has been rescheduled. Well, some of it has been rescheduled for the spring. Um, so I was prepping for that um pretty uh intensely but then yeah. all of a sudden found myself with fall open which is fine because it allowed me to work on this looping stuff so i think um you know the past few days i've been practicing pretty hard on these songs and my process is to um well you saw my charts that mm -hmm. i made i, I want to know like what am I doing in this song? And I want to see it on paper. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, actually before that, I just improvised the arrangements. Yeah. I improvised it and I decided what sounded and felt good and made sense and then wrote it down and then tried to replicate it, which is hard. Like yeah. we talked about earlier, I think before we started taping, just saying how, um, improvising and, um, versus trying to play the same thing every time right. is a different brain exercise yeah well you we, we were talking before we were, when we were setting up how mm -hmm. you studied classical music but then you gravitated much more towards jazz yeah. because jazz is more open it's that conversation between musicians yeah. playing off each other someone drops an idea in from who knows where some Thelonious Monk-esque kind of crazy turn and then mm -hmm. someone kicks in and follows that whereas classical music uh just a different discipline mm -hmm both literally and figuratively speaking, it's a different discipline. You learn a piece, interpret a piece, practice it over and over and over and over, and then replicate that piece on the stages of the world. Right. Both are skills. Both are very impressive. But I think certain people's personalities perhaps lend themselves maybe to one or the other. Or maybe there are certain players. Doesn't one of the Marcellus brothers do both? 
Um, doesn't Winton play classically as well as? Yeah, I think. I yeah. think so. Like there, it, it is possible. It, it's not mutually exclusive. You don't have to do one or the other. I know plenty of musicians that I suppose do either one. But sure. it, it it feels to me like you're accessing a different part of your brain when you do one versus the other. Yeah. Um, now I, we touched a little bit about like being home and alone and lonely during the pandemic and trying to be creative in that space. Yeah. But even you know you're doing more and more of your own music now, which I'm happy to de- be debuting here on our show. And thank you again for doing so. But as I feel like all musicians are like towers. We all have our, like we're independent contractors now, right. unless you have a specific gig, like when you work for that uh, National Air Guard band or you're hired to work with Iron and Wine. Right. When you're on your own gigging around town or trying to pick up gigs, mm-hmm. um, like where does the motivation come from when you don't have a regular gig? I know, unfortunately, the tour went away yeah. as a result of, pandemic complications yeah but so what what keeps you in the game when you don't have that regular direct tie to oh i've got to go play the beast epic tour or i've got to go do this gig at the paste video thing or this this six runs the dates up the east coast or whatever um what keeps me motivated i want to be in an artistic conversation as a songwriter and a musician um, I mean, the, in, in, as far as external motivation goes, which is tricky because I don't find comparison to be all that helpful, mm-hmm. but it does motivate me to, <sighs> these are tough questions. These, these questions are tougher than you, like they appear. Um, I'm an enigma wrapped in a riddle. Dude, uh, what keeps me motivated? I mean, sometimes like sometimes the only thing that makes me want to get out of bed is the idea that maybe there's a song. Maybe mm. there's a new song today. And if I just open up my laptop or if I just go stand next to the marimba, then all of a sudden my day will be full of childlike joy mm. instead of dread. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like yeah. that's what's motivating is just yeah. the mental health aspects of like being a songwriter. It's so I mean, a couple days can be spent in like a joyful fog just yeah. knowing that you have like a new friend of a song yeah. to work on. Have you ever or do you ever dream of new song ideas? It's only happened no. to me a couple times and it's really weird. And rare. I woke up one time with a song in my head, and I was like, "I." It almost never happens, but I thought, surely this is from something. Wow. It was in, but it was a song like it was a fully, and that's the funny thing is I write my write music and produce music and have made albums and work with other artists too, so it wasn't just a melody. It was the whole, the whole thing, the whole thing. Like the drum part was there, like I could hear the Hammond organ part and the whole thing, and I woke up and I was like, Jesus. Like, and I grabbed my phone and I like tried to hum the melody and I tried to type out from whatever I could, you know, I didn't, yep. it's, it's basically a, a, the, the disconnect between your sub, my subconscious brain and my conscious brain must be something different because it, I didn't, I got bits of it. Sure. It's you like know. flying away the minute you wake up. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's light years away. Totally. And, but I got some of it and it's so bizarre. It's such a strange thing. Be on the lookout for it. Maybe it'll happen to you someday. That's so cool. I I will. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> there's your tip for the day. Great. Uh, just sleep all the time. Sleep all. Oh, I love sleeping. <laughs> I love sleeping. I love sleeping more than most things. I I, I don't spend any money. Right. I'm asleep. I'm right. not eating things I shouldn't be eating. Your body's regenerating, so you're getting my, younger. My, I'm getting young. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm becoming a more patient person. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's a win win win. Uh, 
Before I want to play, play a song in just a second. I sure. want to hear another tune. I can't wait for people to hear this song as well. But you got interviewed in a magazine. I did. Right? And I think about that. Like, that's kind of on my Aww. list. Because I, I do interviews all the time, but almost no one ever interviews me. Aww. So, like, what was, like, when you... It was Modern Drummer, which it is legit. That's the, that's the magazine. I all my even... drummer friends grew up reading, and they read even now. Like, what did, you, what did it feel like when you got the call? Like, maybe... Or was it an email? Like, it I, was that's, an email. That's a feeling I want to know about. It was an email. And it was actually, I believe, um, Iron and Wine's management had the connection. I'm not sure how... The interview came about if it was modern. I think they said modern drummer reached out and they wanted my info and would it be okay if they passed along? Um, but when I got that email, I was just like, are you kidding? Like what? Like, okay. I mean, I've only have every issue of that magazine yeah. for my whole childhood and to be in modern drummer. I mean, I've, I've had so many moments since moving to LA where I just felt like, well, I never thought in my wildest dreams I would get this far. And that was one of those moments. I, I, I just came to L.A. because I wanted to, like, write some songs. Yeah. And then the, the drumming, the drumming always happens. The drumming always happens whether, yeah. And anyway, the modern drummer thing, like, getting a copy of it. And um, on the cover of that issue was Matt, Matt Wilson, I think this drummer from New York that I had gotten a chance to work with. And it was like, oh my God, he's on the cover of the same issue that I'm in. And it just felt like this huge moment. And I put it on the hood of my car and I took a picture of it. And yeah, I'm really grateful that that happened. Beth, I am not surprised in the least. You are extremely talented and you've got a lot to say. And it's, I mean, we're not done with the interview. I'm not wrapping up, but like it's, it's this so far it's been a joy and I can't wait for pe people to hear the rest of these tunes. So why don't like, what's this next tune going to be? Tell me a little bit about this one. This next, sorry, this mic. Um, this next song is called I-10 Flatline and I wrote it over the course of the pandemic. I-10 is the freeway that goes between Los Angeles and Tucson, Arizona, where I spent a lot of time. Um... And the flatline part is, I think, open for interpretation. Yeah, we like that. <laughs> I-10, by the way, I hate to break this to you, it continues on farther east Get from Tucson. Get out of here. Are you kidding? I know. There's something beyond Tucson? I know. There's a whole other part of the country. It goes, I've driven most of the 10. Uh, and now that I'm in LA, I say the 10. Right. Where I grew up, it would have been 10. It or goes all the way to Florida. It goes and all the I way to St. Augustine, Florida. I have driven it as well. Indeed, it does. You probably rode on a bus. But anyway, all right. So this is No, I drove it in my you Volvo in station oh, wagon. Oh, yeah. look at you go. <laughs> go, girl, as they say. All right, Elizabeth Goodfellow, the song is I-10 Flatline. Dig this looping, mind-blowing experience on Independence Day.
the fight line in the sand How your storms blow it and blur it You stayed on my side But I feel like I'm falling It's all in my head And it's all in the wind Thank you. 
Is your mind blown or is your mind not blown? That is Elizabeth Goodfellow here on Independence Day. You can learn about her, elizabethgoodfellow.com, at Beth underscore Goodfellow at Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. And stop by her Bandcamp page as well and pick up her new song, Terror and Trust. It makes cool references to bread. <laughs> and I mean that in a cool kind of way, not the band bread. But uh, I do I like, love bread. Yeah, you know, who doesn't? Who doesn't? But I do like the way I, I like the lyrics of that song a lot. Thanks. Uh, interpersonal relationship, mm. visiting. It, it it calls to mind like past romantic relationships I might have had, where you're having an intimate conversation with someone about what makes them tick and things they might have said, and maybe it's a past relationship, maybe it's a current one. Doesn't matter. It's the ambiguity the ambiguity that makes it delicious. So well done. Uh, different song. Pick that up at Bandcamp. Also, is that song available? The I ten Flatline. Is that since people buy that somewhere? Yeah, I ten Flatline is part of a Bandcamp only release that mm-hmm. I did at the beginning of twenty twenty one. I put it out, I think January second or something, and it is every song I wrote in Tucson, Arizona, and it's called Hunting the Silence. Um, oh yeah, because I see that here in the notes, like one ten twenty one. Is the date I have for that? Oh that, yeah, at least sure. That's what's on the thing. Great. That's the thing. So uh, you've got a couple. Well, you see, it's, you got two full LPs, long playing record is what they used to call them. Get the the hunting, the silence, and then silly sun was a cassette LP way back in the day, right? That uh, way back in twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen, a thousand years ago. <laughs> a million. Uh, it seems well now that there's been a pandemic. It seems <laughs> oh, like light yeah. years ago. Totally. Now light years are a distance of measurement, but not time. But time and space is all a big continuum. So you get the concept. Okay, I'm uh, with you. Let's Joe. talk about. I, 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 I've been building to this too because this is my probably what I've been building to this whole time, which is. You talked about that like elation of getting a call or an email to do an interview with Modern Drummer. I love Iron and Wine. So many people love Iron and Wine. At some point, you get the gig playing drums for the Beast Epic Tour, which by that time, Sam Beam had fleshed out his sound with nine or ten people playing this. this, But that one was smaller, though. I'm sorry. The one before was the one with all the the, the thing, right? That's right. The the Beast Epic. The horns. Okay. So, well, well, all right. Anyway, you get the call. Is it an email? Is it a call? Are you jumping up and down? Was it an audition situation? Did someone hand somebody your number sideways? Like, how did you get this gig? I believe Sebastian Steinberg, the bass player, was like on the lookout for someone who could sing and play drums. And um, I think my friend must have given my number to Sebastian because at this point, I don't think Sebastian and I had played together, but... Sebastian gave my number to Sam, and then I get this email from Sam. That's like directly from Sam B. Yeah. He's like, hey, I'm taking some people on the road. Like, would you want to be part of my band? And um, can we chat on the phone about it? And I was like... Um, Did you like pee your pants? Okay, or? so between you and me and everyone who's listening, I didn't know who Iron and Wine was. Wow. Can I Uh-oh. say that? Of course you can say that. Can I admit that? I well, I've, I've got calls working for bands that I had only ever heard of and didn't know a note of their music when I started working with them. So it's a thing. Yeah, I missed the whole Twilight thing, and I missed all of that because I was my head was so in the jazz-only mm-hmm. world, and I was just thrifting records at thrift stores and like listening to June Christie throughout the whole 20 early aughts, mm-hmm. the whole time. I, I did see Garden State. Okay. So I did hear... Um, uh, Such the, Great Heights was the single, which Heights. was a Postal Service song That's to right. be covered on there. That's right. So I did hear that. But I <laughs> feel like I shouldn't be revealing this, but I, I did not know 
what a big deal it was. Uh-huh. And I was at a jazz festival, I think in Elkhart, Indiana. And I said, oh, hi, like, sure, I, I'm busy this week, but can we talk like next week? I had just had no, I had no well, idea. Between you and me, that's the appropriate response to almost anything is if you let them know. But, but, but you didn't even know. So like, why would you be jazzed about it? No pun intended. But like, why would you I, be like all worked up about it if you, I mean, it's a gig. That's great. Well, and yeah. And at this time in my life, I was so, I was still on this, like, I, like, I, oh man, I'm just being so candid. But um, I, around the same time, I also got an invitation to work with Maddie and I said, no. Maddie being Madison Cunningham. Madison Cunningham. And at that time I also said no, because I was just saying no to everything. I, and I didn't even have the energy. Like my dad had just passed away. Mm-hmm. I had just moved here. I had burned out playing gigs. I was working six nights a week up in the Bay Area. I didn't have any energy for anything but my own music at that point because mm-hmm. I needed to do that. And I needed to also figure out who am I without the drums? Mm-hmm. Who am I as a musician without the drums? So my um, hesitant responses and my need to focus on just what I was doing at that time was where I was at. And, and so when I got that email, I knew that it was like an opportunity, but I didn't realize what a big part of my life it would end up being Mm -hmm. just simply because that touring experience was so, um, it just pushed me into a whole new beautiful direction for a lot of things. So, um, but yeah, we, we ended up chatting on the phone a couple of days later and had like an hour long conversation where we just like talked, like mm-hmm. you and I are talking and we didn't really even talk about that much of the, the music or what the gig was. We were just kind of getting to know each other. And as that, I think that was my first introduction to, Oh, this is what artists do yeah. when they're thinking about hiring you. I just didn't know anything about the process. I didn't have any peers to ask. I didn't, I just, this is all and continues to be, now I know to reach out to people and ask questions like, is this normal? Or like, is this how this is supposed to be going? And now I have such great friends in LA that I can ask in confidence, like, how is this supposed to go? Um, But at that time it was just very, I was very green. So um, I got very lucky that I got to work with Sam at that point in my career and that he was so patient and generous and yeah. Such a creative guy. Yeah. Uh, that band is so unique to me. It's become, I mean, I kind of divide music up. Uh, there's no like f- demarcation year specifically, but there's music that I kind of grew up with classic Rocky type music. Mm-hmm. And then there's music that came to me l- later mm-hmm. that that's completely unrelated to anything else. You know, yeah. cause like I followed, you know, like Mark Knopfler. I'm a big Mark Knopfler fan. He's a brilliant guitar player, mm-hmm. gruff voice, but writes great songs about stuff. Like he, he got lucky. He hit pay dirt. Oh yeah. Which then allowed him to be completely free. Is that I want my MTV? That's the one. Yeah. yeah. Sold a lot of records with Dire Straits, but that allowed him to. He's he's told you like since '99 or so. He's like he quit. He blew up Dire Straits because like it just got too big. Yeah. The whole the stadiums and the trucks and the right. media and the thing, and intentionally kind of like Pearl Jam did after 10 intentionally made it smaller because it was too big and it was impacting his life and his art and he's like I don't want to do it at that scale yeah but the good news is the the silver lining he made enough money to hire top-notch musicians he's had essentially the same band now for that it's that makes it 22 years wow and 
makes records when he wants to make records yeah. and writes about what he wants to write about. And it's, he's unconcerned with the things. And Sam Beam strikes me as someone who's somewhat similar. He just kind of exists unto himself and does his thing. Artistically, sometimes it's he, like as we were talking before, like he collaborates with Calexico or he collaborates oh. with Jessica Hoop yeah. or uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, Ben Bridwell. Bridwell. Yeah. I was telling you, I was getting confused with uh, Ben Gibbard. Mm -hmm. But he does his thing. So, at what point did you realize? Because before you said you didn't know it was kind of a big deal. Like, at, when did that start to sink in? <laughs> when we would be on the bus and like people would be like waiting outside for autograph or just to say hi. Um, and then just the, when did I realize it was a big deal? I mean, I think people wanting to work with me just because I'd worked with him. Mm -hmm. That was the first time that ever happened to me. Put some shine on you. Yeah. And also, I don't know if they knew me though, or, or wanted to work with me for the right reasons. I realized there was like, oh, if someone is in, now they're like designated as being in this particular camp. Mm -hmm. um, I, now I get that and how there's like, oh, this, this is the, the world of, um, I don't know, Jackson Brown, you know, mm -hmm. and these are all the people he works with. And, um, but I didn't, I, I, yeah, experienced like people wanting to hire me, I think without really knowing like what kind of drumming I do and whether that was a good fit for their songs. Yeah. <laughs> so now it becomes my responsibility to mm -hmm. decide, um, oh yeah, I think that would work or yeah. maybe I'm not the right person for this gig or, yeah. yeah. So. Well, it opens doors. It opens so many doors I didn't even know existed. Right. And well, it, it's such an interesting story. I love hearing from musicians like you or you specifically about when something like that happens in your career yeah. Because it's, from my experience, so many musicians spend so long just trying to even find the damn door. Yeah. Or to discover that there's even a door. Yeah. And they play their whole career without ever getting a break because we kind of play for the breaks. Like there are so, Beth, so many absurdly talented people that I know yeah. who have yet to break through. Like they might have played South by Southwest. Maybe they did right. a few tours or here and there. But they're 10 times better than most people that I've ever met. Yeah. But they just didn't get a break. Yeah. Or they didn't have that. They're equally as talented, equally as motivated. Right. Um, and that's just, I mean, and, and I suppose that could be applied to any endeavor in life. Music's just especially hard because there are X factors that you can't really plan for. You can yeah. be the, the most talented musician and the hardest working musician and still not get the break. Yeah. You know? So I'm elated. Right. Go, go, please. No, that, that brings up something that's like a constant balancing act of um, you're so grateful to even in the room whenever you're in a room any room being able to play your music uh, play, play music with other people right. on a paid. daily basis and get paid it's just it's such a miracle yeah. and and then on the other hand there's the whole music is actually a job and it is labor yeah. and there's a labor movement around music right so you on the one hand you yes you're always grateful that you're there but that can be a real tricky yeah, slippery slope. If you're not careful, it's like um, w w once you are there, and once you realize that this is your career and your job, and um, you know, you maintain the wonder and the gratitude, and also, I think part of growing up in a musical career is understanding how to advocate for yourself 
and um, how to um, negotiate with management and all yeah. these things that are very business-like endeavors. And then also maintain your childlike wonder that yeah. you're making music. And yeah, yeah, you're trying to convey energy to an audience and receive energy. And like, that's a very like magical thing. Yeah. Well, the, the, the give and the take, the, the reciprocity of that relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, you're, you're exactly right. The, the differences between the artistic aspects of music and the commerce aspects of music. Yeah. I feel like a lot of musicians, or now like Taylor Swift is an example I always think of. Like she's always been especially savvy mm -hmm. uh, with the business of music. Mm -hmm. And there can be a pejorative aspect to that, mm. but that doesn't mean your music's not good. Mm -hmm. You know, but now it's, it's, I feel like this is going to sound like a negative thing to say, but I feel like it's never been more complicated to be a musician. Mm. What we've done, historically speaking, disappeared for 18 months, right. just now coming back, so just nuts. vanished. So nuts. Vanished off the face of the earth. So, I mean, you're still alive. I'm still alive. We're still making it. Uh, music's coming back, but the pandemic's not done. The holiday season's coming up. Let's hope, knocking on my rock solid head, that it turns in. It's not as bad as last year. We have vaccinations. Vaccinations are are forthcoming for young kids mm -hmm. within a matter of weeks. That's right. That will change some things. Uh, people continue to be vaccinated. There's some hesitancy, and the rates are not as where we'd like them to be, but it's happening slowly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I hope it continues to go that way. So when music comes back. Uh, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I hope it's good. Um, but before we get to this next song, before we get you out of here, because I know you've stayed way longer than I probably asked you to. Oh, I'm um, having a great time, I'm just Joe. enjoying the conversation, and thank you. Uh, I'm glad that you are enjoying it. Yeah. That's my goal. But the, the Madison Cunningham gig. Yeah. Another uh, incredible musician that I've discovered not too terribly long ago. Yeah. And I discovered her because of you. I was sitting on my couch on a Friday watching some video of some music thing. Mm -hmm. And... The YouTube, you know, it's content, 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 right. jam it down your throat. It's autoplay, which I can't stand. Right. But this autoplay, they started playing this next video, and it's this artist I don't know playing at some pace thing. It's like, okay, it's paced, so it's somebody legit. I'm like, ah, maybe I'll watch this. I've got some things to do. But, oh, that's Beth Goodfellow yeah. on the drums. And what from what I know about you, you're legit, you're professional. You don't show up unless it's good. It's a good music situation. So I gave it a listen because you were playing. And I thought, holy crap. This is amazing what's happening here. What you were doing was cool. What she does is very unique and cool. The bass player whose name I don't know. Oh, Daniel Ryan yeah. was in that video. Yeah, very he's good. Wonderful. By the way, he looks like a J. Crew Ed. Oh. By the way. Very handsome guy. You're yeah. a handsome guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, but playing cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And like everyone's together and it's groovy, but the melody's unique. How how does that gig land in your lap? Because that's two good <sighs> gigs, two cool gigs, artistically at least. I mean, I knew about Maddie from um Probably since 2018 or 2017, I was aware of her and that there was a buzz. And um, I think her producer, Tyler Chester, invited me at one point to come over and try out some songs. But I had just gotten the Iron and Wine gig. And um, I remember we were at the Bootleg Theater, and I f that's where I first said hi to her. And um, and then uh, eventually in 20, early 2019, they called again to see if I wanted to be part of a, a tour with her and Anna Butters on bass. And at that time, I was available. Um, Sam was doing the, or Iron and Wine and Calexico were collaborating. And if you haven't seen John Convertino drum, the quick mm -hmm. aside, if you haven't, John is on so many of my favorite records. He's on some Nico Case records, he's on Amos Lee's Mission Bell. Um, 
so many others, um, all the Calexico records, but he, he's Calexico's drummer. Just so the people, there's yes. like two main guys. It's Joey Burns and John Convertino. That's right. And a little bit of just a little bit of shine on this show. John Convertino was one of our first guests on Independence Day. Ooh. Low those years ago. Like looking our like sub tens somewhere in through there. There's a there's an interview with me on a on the phone with John Convertino. I remember it being a very enjoyable conversation. He was very gracious. Anyway, please go on. Yeah, tell me tell me more. He's awesome. He's such an inspiration. Like. Um, but what was the point of bringing that up? Oh, that just like I was available for Maddie's okay. gig at that point, and we ended up doing the paste session was I think at the beginning of our leg opening for Lake Street Dive um, in the very very late 2019, and it was just really a moment where um, that particular video, uh, the room is very small. If you've yeah. ever been to the paste, stu- I don't think it's there anymore. I think. Right? I've never been in the room, but I I can tell. I've done enough shows, and I can see. I mean, I, I do videos in my house, so yeah. <laughs> I know how it's laid out. Well, okay, so imagine a room this size in New York, in Manhattan. Yeah. And um, we don't really have any monitors. It's all just going mm-hmm. straight in, and we're just playing in the room. And in that setting, I got to play really quietly mm-hmm. because we didn't even have a monitor for Maddie's vocal. We had to play under her vocal, yeah. and it just ended up being one of those magical days where everything just like the engineer who was mm-hmm. mixing it did an amazing job like whatever compression they're using on the drums sick um and so yeah just getting to play in that toned down setting yeah. instead of to the big stages all of the slap back and the reverb and you're just trying to kind of hang on it was like we could hear each other yeah it's really nice so. beth there's a secret for independence day what? that's exactly how i do all my videos here i intentionally i have a pa system i intentionally <laughs> no i'm serious really I, I do not set up a pa in the room when i have bands come in because i am forcing them to listen to each other right and most importantly to the singer Mm-hmm. The singer is not the most important person in the band, but it is the person that if you're not a musician, you're going to relate to. Those where the lyrics are coming from, that's the melody. Sure. So that's important, and the musician should be listening just like the listener should be listening. Yeah. And that's how I do it in here. And it's gotten a little loud sometimes, and some musicians have been like, you know, you should have some monitors here. And I was like, yeah, I'll take that under advisement. Right, right. <laughs> put it in my pocket. But I'm not going to do it. And then I'll put my jeans in the laundry, yep, and I'm that gonna... piece of paper will just That's right. And I'm going to take those jeans and take them to the resale shop. There you and go. You can have that. But that's... <laughs> so but, it's like, monitors, what? But it really does force people to listen. And I think music... I mean... Look, I'm not a genius, but I do think, at least from my perspective, it forces musicians into something they're not used to doing, which is listening to each other. It sounds ridiculous. But we're used to having wedges or in-ears monitors or uh, you know, side wedges and right. f- or side monitors and flowing things and right. all kinds of things to listen. And these with increased complexity comes increased complexity. Yeah. If we get it down to the bare element of it. It's a beautiful thing. So I know. Oh, wait, one more thing. One more band. Yeah. This, if only because Phoebe Bridgers was on this show at one point before she blew up and became this big sensation with the, the skull, whatever leotard thing she's got. But she was in a band a trio called Boy Genius. Yeah. Which just one record, and right and so far, so far, yeah, I think they're still alive and well, still and a performing. Thing. So. But you performed on that. Like, just talk just a little bit about that experience. Oh my gosh. Like, you get the call for that and. Yeah, I got a call from Phoebe's manager and um, asking me if I was interested in doing a recording session for um, this thing. This It wasn't even, I don't think they even had the name Boy Genius or they didn't tell me that that's what it was going to be called. But it was basically just a session. Come down to Sound City and record a few songs and, you know, what's my rate, da-da-da. Yep. I was like, cool. Like, that sounds amazing. Like, I 
followed I, I, I was following her on Instagram at that point and I was like oh cool like I know who that is and yeah. you know at this point like starting to get my bearings with this whole like yeah. indie rock scene still very 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 green um but yeah it was one day I think it was maybe just like four or five hours and Phoebe and Lucy Dacus and um Julian Baker were there and we tracked the drums for um was it three three songs and then at the end of the day like Phoebe was like oh yeah I have this one I'm working on and it was the song me and my dog which is I think probably my favorite song on that album and and she was like, we don't really know like what the drum part is. Like, do you want to just try playing? And of course, I tried to be all clever and I played something like really complicated. <laughs> I looked in like the booth and their faces were just like, that is not the vibe. And then they were like, why don't you just do like eighth notes on the floor tom and the snare drum? And that ended up being the tune. But um, I remember when it came out, that song. Still, whenever I listen to that song, I think that's another moment in my life where I've actually played on a song that I really want to listen to. And it feels like being part of being on the radio in the nineties or something. It had that, <laughs> it had that vibe, <laughs> that feel to it. Yeah. Cause like they were, you know, it's like, this is electric guitars and like big, you know, rock studio, like sound city. Like yeah, yeah. it was just one of those, I pinch myself still that I got to do that. So yeah, I think, I might even have a, a gig coming up where I'll be opening for them. So it'd be mm. nice to say hi again. <laughs> yeah, it's all in the not, family. Not my own music, but with another artist. Well, you know, that's cool. It's still, you're, still your art. You're still making it. It's still cool. You're the drums, man. Everyone loves the drummer. Everyone loves the drummer. Come on, hug a drummer. <laughs> but Beth, the drummer jokes never stop. It's great. <laughs> I'm sure you've endured your share of drummer jokes in your life. Oh, yes. But uh, there's another thing. I don't want to bury the lead. You've got a, like a new, new gig on top of all these other awesome gigs that we've been discussing. Uh, Allison Russell. Yeah, Joe, thanks um, for uh, bringing that up. I'm really thrilled to be playing with Allison. We've so far done two shows together. Um, the first one, I don't think I will ever forget. We did a live um, show at the Third Man Records in Nashville, mm -hmm. the um, really fun space. We had a live audience and we tracked live to the lacquer, the mm -hmm. vinyl lacquer. <laughs> so we did uh, like 20 minute set and then they flipped over the lacquer and we did another 20 minute set. And that was my first show ever with Allison and her great band and no pressure. <laughs> and I, say, I was just, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was about to say no pressure. It's only going directly to vinyl. What yeah. then happens to that vinyl? Do they replicate it or is it like go into the Smithsonian or whatever? No, no, they're going to release, hopefully they will release this show um, as part of their, I think they have like something called the Vault Collection. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not too familiar with their different um, types of releases that they do at Third Man, but I, from what I understand, it'll come out. Um, as a record that you can buy. So yeah. can't wait to hear it. And let me tell you this, man. Coming from me and anybody else who knows anything about anything, I mean, what a gig to get in this year because just, just giving people some baseball card information on Ms. Russell. Uh, Montreal, originally Canadian, uh, singer, songwriter. She had a record come out just earlier this year. Uh, blew up. She just kind of blew up this year. That's, at least that's what the kids say. Three <laughs> Grammy nominations. One for Best... American album, mm -hmm. uh, one for best American American Roots performance, one for best American Roots song. That's for the song Night Flyer. That's right. Uh, plus four Canadian Folk Music Awards. 
uh, just like, you know, I wouldn't say household name, but definitely on the upswing. We talked before about other gigs that you got, like, you know, what it felt like, you know, to get that call, how you got the gig. How, so how? Oh how gosh. did you get this gig? I got a text message from my friend Jenny O, um, who I hadn't seen in a couple of years just because we'd both been so busy uh, before the pandemic and then the pandemic. But I got this text from her um, basically saying, like, hi, um, how's it going? Like a, a friend of mine wanted to invite you to the Wiltern to come see their, their show. Um, and would you be interested in, in coming down with me and like hanging out? And I was like, Oh yeah. Like it was so genius kind of how, how they, how Allison and, and her partner JT reached out through my friend Jenny, um, and her partner Kevin. And, uh, they, you know, had Jenny ask me if I was interested in coming and I really would, you know, I wanted to hang out with Jenny. So of course I said yes. And then, um, I think JT Nero, um, Allison's partner in the birds of Chicago, this is Mm -hmm. their band that they've had together. He also sent me a text inviting me out and complimenting my playing. And it was just very sweet. And so on my way to the Wiltern, which I can walk to from my house, I just put on the record to like, see if any pr- song in particular jumped out as something I could look forward to hearing during the show. Um, and the song, All of the Women, mm-hmm. hit me right away. Oh, the lyrics to that song are really deep. Um, and the, the moodiness of that song hit me. That was the first song. And then the more I listened to this record, the more I was just like, this. I can't believe what a great fit this is um, musically. This just is right up my alley. There were two different drummers on the record at the same time, just playing all these colors and um, different textures as, as well as the beat. And that is one of my strengths. I feel like as a player is to mm-hmm. be able to recreate some of those textures live and also keep a beat. Um, so yeah, they, um, after the show at the Wiltern, we had a drink at, um, the line, I think it was, which is right down the street. And I got to chat with Allison's manager who was there that night. And it just really felt really good right away. It felt like immediately just like a nice, um, group of people. So I got invited to do that third man records show. And it was just like, wow, like this is such an amazing opportunity. I've like since I saw her play live, which was incredible with, they didn't have drums at the Wiltern mm-hmm. show. It was just absolutely blew me away. Um, her band just didn't really miss the drums, but I could also imagine how I could fit in, which mm-hmm. was just a nice balance. Um, and then since seeing her play, I just listened to the record on my jog every night and um, just fell in love with the record. So I'm not going to get all into the like secret stuff, but that's kind of like manifesting. Totally, totally. You know? I just yeah. You, but <laughs> so well done on that respect. But how did it, specifically though? So they they're like, hey, come out and check out the show. It's kind of like a double date situation. Like, hey, I'm going out with my friend Kelly. Would you like to meet her friend Rob? Yeah. And then you go to a bar, and it's like, oh, so they're kind of checking you out. Yeah. The, like the sideways way, but right. then was it? Did you come home from the gig? Because I've had situations like this where people invite me to do something similar. And you come home from the gig and you're like, I think they're going to ask me out. Like, did <laughs> you have that kind of feeling that you were expecting a call when you left? Or was it a total surprise? Um, to get the call to do the third to, man to show? To do the gig, yeah. To um, do a gig. 
Well, when we were saying goodbye after having drinks, they mentioned the couple shows that they had coming up. And I took that as, you know, maybe something that they could be reaching out about in the future. I think they maybe even said as much. Okay. Um, but the the cool, like, syner- what's the word? Um, serendipitous aspect mm-hmm. of this second show that we have played together, which was in San Francisco. It was a benefit for Bread and Roses. Um, was that we would be sharing the bill with Boy Genius. Oh, <laughs> Did I tell you that already? I don't remember like if I mentioned that, but it was just so cool to get to see um, uh, Phoebe and Julian and Lucy perform those songs again live and then also to see them and say get to say hi and then also to play with Allison, of course, like and watch the audience there just be smitten with her and her music and her performance style. And it was just really cathartic night <laughs> yeah in a lot of ways you know and i checked out her backstory i, mm-hmm. I you know brushing mm-hmm. up for our, my interview with you as i always do and like it's funny because there's an analogous thing it's to most of america or to a significant percentage of america or at least some i should say maybe i don't know what that percentage is she came out of nowhere mm. but like looking at her backstory she's got like 10 albums with different bands. Like sure. she's been around and at this for a very long time. You know, Absolutely. there's that irony, you know, she was not nominated for best new artist at the Grammy Grammys, but then a lot of the artists who are nominated for that, it's almost a weird award because they've been out there sometimes for 10 years sure, or longer. Yeah. You know, you could be a 50 year old best new artist. That's just how life works. Music is very fluid and catches catch can. You just don't know when or if you're going to get a break. And then when you do, you know, you're the new kid on the block, even though you're an old hat at whatever yeah. it is. Like, you know what it's like to try to find socks on tour or, <laughs> you know, or to find an extra hour of sleep oh, on man. tour or to, you know, any number of the things that are like the indignities of being a musician. Yeah. Uh, so, man, I mean, mm-hmm. I was looking again. She was with uh, the group Poe Girl, That's right. Birds of Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, Our Native Daughters. Yeah. This is, this is her very first solo record. Yeah. It's called Outside Child. Everyone should pick it up. Uh, what my favorite song so far, at least, is Fourth Day Prayer. Oh, my God. I love that song and so I, much. It has a, uh, it's like a slowed down love and happiness. Yeah. That's like totally one of the references that JT yeah. gave me for like how to approach the live drumming. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I love <laughs> any song that sounds even remotely like love and happiness pleases me. Cause I, I mean, I, that groove and it first starts with that Hammond thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But man, such a cool record, such a cool gig to get. Are you signed up for other gigs for them in the future, or is it just kind of yeah. out there? Or like, tell me, like, where is this going with that? Well, um, there's some exciting things that may happen in January, but they're not confirmed, so I can't yeah. say anything about that. But then February, we're gonna. What has been announced is we're gonna be part of Brandy Carlisle's uh, Girls Just Wanna Fest. Mm-hmm. Nice, and that's down in uh, like the Yucatan um, Mexican. Riviera is that sure. I've never been to that part of the world yet so yeah I'm excited about that and then uh, we're also going to be on the Kayamo cruise mm-hmm. in March and um, I think that's all that's been announced so far but there um, will hopefully hopefully if things go well with the you know just yeah. touring climate in general um, yeah. there will be a lot more to come I'm really excited about next year yeah well yeah that's a big that's a big question. We just don't know what to expect as far as, as far as next year goes. A lot of things, it's the end of the year, 2021, as we're recording this right now, a lot of things are being canceled 
or yeah. rescheduled for farther out. And everyone's very hopeful, but also very cautious. But on the positive side, we know a lot more than we knew a year ago going into this. Vaccinations, you know, millions, tens of millions of people have been vaccinated. We know, setting aside the people who don't believe these things are real, the rest of us know that wearing masks and being vaccinated is the best way forward. And no, we don't want to be sick. We don't want anyone to be sick. So keep doing that. Yeah. And the music will come back and we'll keep doing that. Yeah. Um, so, man, what a great gig. Congratulations on that. I'm Thanks, so happy Joe. to hear. I'm, I'm happy to hear talented people getting gigs. And you are certainly talented. And that's a fantastic gig. So I hope that you tour around the world with the Allison Russell experience. That's what I hope for you out of 2022. Uh, but before we go, I have one more question for you. Because you're someone who's built... Uh, you know, you're still building, you know, it's always a work in progress, but you're, you've built a, like a storied career. You've played with a lot of really great people and a lot of innovative artists, people who really, from at least my perspective, value the integrity of the performance and mm. want to try to do creative things because creative can be, <laughs> music can be more or less creative. It can just be like, I remember seeing a band one time where their set list was laminated. <laughs> That's no changes. All, no changes. They never change the set list. But, you know, the bands you've been involved with, you know, they want that creative fire, that like surfing that wave of performance. So in, in light of that and the career that you've built and you continue to build, what kind of advice would you give to a young performer or even a performer who's kind of just maybe starting to try to, they've been at it, but they're trying to find their breaks I know that luck is an aspect of it. I know that hard work is an aspect of it. But for mm. you, what would you tell someone if someone came to you and they asked you that? Well, I think like one of the big components that's necessary for a career in music is that you have to want it more than you want most other things. Mm -hmm. Like it has to be something that you l literally can't live without in order to... Um, stick with it for as long as it takes to actually get to an established place, which I'm what, like, um, 26 years into my career. And I'm only feeling like in the past two years, I've really established myself in a way that feels authentic to me. Like there were moments previously in my career where I felt like, okay, I'm working five nights a week or seven nights a week and I'm paying my rent pay, playing the drums, but it didn't feel authentic. It didn't feel right. like I had arrived at a place that I was proud of. And now, like, pretty much just this year and a little bit of last year, I, I feel like, okay, th this is... I, I finally, like, found my voice as a drummer and a, and a musician mm -hmm. and, a, and a songwriter and I know who I am, and other people are recognizing that in me and hiring me for appropriate gigs. Yeah. Um, I think another part of it, like, yeah, like if you're just starting out and you think you might want a career in music, just take take a pulse on how much you really love it, and, and it can't ever be about the money. Like that's another yeah. thing that I've really learned is like um, the less I worry about how much – I'm getting paid and win, the better my career goes, which is yeah. kind of ironic because you want to have a good business sense and you want to always be aware of who's treating you fairly. Um, but you can't like uh, dwell on that. You can just make decisions based like, do I want to play with this person again? Um, was the music fun? Was the hang good? And was the money fair? And like, you know, you'll... You'll figure it out. Those three things. 
have to be there. Um, let's see what other advice, um, um, energy, like pay attention to the energy of the situations that seek you out and the energy that you're seeking out. Like, um, who do you want to be playing with? Who's doing the job that you want? And, um, try to find a mentor, try to find people like maybe in the previous generation that you can look up to and ask questions of, cause you can't do it in a bubble. You really need like good community around you to guide you because there's no handbook <laughs> for yeah. this career. There's no degree in like freelance drumming. Right. Um, but there's a lot of great advice out there and, and in real life and on the internet now. Um, there's, there's just so much information on the internet and so many great records and tutorials and things I didn't have when I was learning. So use, yeah. use all the technology. It's, yeah. it's great. Man. I mean, I, if someone were to ask me the same question, I'd be like, I, 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 it would be different on any given day. Sure. But it would be like, you know, trust your gut. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think you're being screwed over, you're probably getting screwed over. Oh, you're always going to be screwed over. <laughs> like <laughs> if, uh, Well, right. If, if you suspect that you are always being screwed over, you're probably always being screwed over. Right. Uh, <laughs> but never, never give up, never surrender. You know, stay true to your vision of whatever you think it is. Like, because there's, a, there's a, a story, it's somewhat apocryphal, but it's a story of, gosh, the very early 70s, maybe. Some, it's, well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it was a famous uh, uh, good lord famous music journalist was helping this artist load out after a show in New Jersey in the early 70s and I'm like man that artist was really really great and it was Bruce Springsteen loading his stuff into the van you know before he way before he was a household name yeah. but it's like he's loading the van of course that's what you do so yeah Bruce you know your vision may seem insane to everyone in the world but you oh yeah yeah you yeah. have to believe in yourself like radically yeah and that's hard Sometimes, because sometimes I was just thinking about this last week. Sometimes you are the only person who believes in you. Yeah, but that's enough. Yeah, like that can be enough for like a, a certain period of time, and it can always come back down to that. You know, yeah. depending on like how much you want to keep pushing yourself to go into a new realm of your career. It's like, all right, yeah. I made it this far. Like I'm comfortable, which is a bad sign. <laughs> so now <laughs> it what? is a bad sign. It's true. Like if you get too comfortable, then. It's maybe maybe an opportunity to look around and say, well, how how could I push myself to get better? Yeah, yeah. Well, it fills my heart with joy, and I mean that literally to to see you and to hear you talking about the success that you have and the hard work that I know you've put in, and to see that pay off, right? And it's again, it's as I said before, it's a rolling thing, it's a continuous thing. It's not like you just make it to one place. It's a, it's a continuous journey, but you do want to travel well, and you do want to be traveling with people with whom you would like to travel and making mm -hmm. the type of music that you would like to be making. Yes. And so, so man, congratulations. Thanks, woman. Joe. <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> Thanks, dude. For, for, for that. Uh, I just read an article recently about some woman calling everyone dude, and it's like oh, dude has become, it's kind of like the word guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. guy, if you look at the, the origin of the word, it came from Guy Fox, and then mm -hmm. they were guys, a penny for a guy, but it, then it kind of got disassociated from its gender, and like, dude, at least if you're from California, yeah. is disassociated from gender, at least as far as I can tell. That's You've how got, I feel about it, too, with dude. Yeah, yeah, dude. I used to get mad about being called dude, because I was like really trying to assert myself, yeah. like, I am a woman, like, yeah, yeah. I am a female, even though I'm playing this very 
like I, I don't even think of drums as masculine to be honest like I've, I've done a lot of reflecting over the past year about like drums are very they're very feminine like females have we're very in tune with the heartbeat yeah we like new life passes through us like why wouldn't we we be really good at rhythm you know yeah. so <laughs> well i don't think any of i mean at least from my perspective none of them are gender specific mm-hmm. you know there's no instrument that i'm aware of that you play with your genitals right <laughs> yeah thank yeah <laughs> you know you I, I don't play know them <laughs> it's kind of, it would be weird it would be weird and i'm not sure i would want to see that show anyway no thanks yeah but, but you know you play with your hands you play with your head you play with your heart you play with your feet right um yeah play with your voice sure um you know a voice might be higher or lower than someone else's but that's not gender specific either Mm -mm. so i mean look again it feels keep using this phrase it fills me with joy to see women making not just inroads but like houses and cities and towns in music go do it man thank you like and don't thank me like thank (laughs) yourselves you did the work it's it's the dopey idiot dudes have been standing in the way the whole time so But but there's also a lot of dudes who are supportive. Yes, and, yes. You know, I, that's what I love about music. It it really is the universal language. Having played with people who don't speak the language that I speak, the chords, the Western scale is the same. Mm-hmm. You know, the one four five is the same. The minor four is the same. Mm-hmm. You know. So anyway, enough <laughs> philosophizing. Uh, Beth, you've got one more. Yeah, let's song. stop it right there at the minor four. I, okay. Well, I, <laughs> this interview is already one of the longest we've ever done, and I've loved every second of it. But I want people to continue to listen. So okay. Let's let's. I know you've got one more song for us. Uh, can you lay out this one? Just, uh, no dice. I think, yeah, right? sure. The, yeah, this song is called No Dice. I wrote it while I was out in Tucson. I think last winter. Um, and it's just a song about boundaries and self-worth. And, um, I just have a lot of fun playing this song because it's like a very joyful little melody. How appropriate for our conversation. All right. So this is Elizabeth Goodfellow. The song is No Dice on Independence Day.
Elizabeth Goodfellow is her name. That is the song No Dice. Man, I have I've been mesmerized listening to you doing these songs. Like you get this the trippy thing with the layering and the um looping, but not just the marimba, you're looping your voice and you've got some backing tracks that you're triggering. I just the degree of difficulty of alone is extremely impressive. So kudos to you. Well Thank done. you, Joe, for having me. It's such a pleasure to perform for your show. You're welcome. And I can't wait to see. I know you've got some gigs coming up with Allison Russell. Is there anything else coming up in the new year that, yeah. you, can, that you are at liberty to say what it is? Yeah, like where are you going to be? Where can people hear you? I actually have my first ever solo show um, in Tucson, Arizona on January 18th at the uh, Club Congress at Hotel Congress. I'm splitting the bill with Jillian Bassett. And uh, we're we're both looping artists, so it's it's gonna be oh, cool. a really fun night um, put on by Arizona Arts Live. Do you have an IT person standing by? Because I feel like <laughs> two people with loopers at one show oh, man. might be technically challenging. You know what? I'm I'm gonna meet uh, Jillian for the first time early in uh, 2022, and I, I have confidence that you know, that despite any te- technical difficulties that may or you know. The probability of which are high, it, the show will go on. So yeah, yeah, we'll be we'll be fine. <laughs> well, as I said before, degree of difficulty. We're giving we're grading on that, and well, and just you know, pulling off whatever you've done today, watching it happen right in front of me is just incredible. So I've done a little bit of looping, but I feel like I can barely roller skate, and I feel like that's like <laughs> looping is like roller skating and juggling at the same time. And yeah. I, I don't know if I maybe we'll see, maybe someday. Well, I would love to hear your live looping we'll project see. when you... One day. Well, maybe you and I will do a looping thing together and we'll we'll loop me juggling and doing and falling down on roller skates. All right. So thank you so very much to Elizabeth Goodfellow. Check her out. It's elizabethgoodfellow.com, is it not? That's right. Thanks, okay. Joe. Yeah. And then, of course, if you want to find the other 220 plus episodes of our show, if you haven't heard enough of me talking today, you can drop by joearmstrong.com slash in-depth day. I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y. That is also where you will find us on Twitter and Instagram at In-Depth Day. So thank you once again to Elizabeth Goodfellow, also to the Independence Day staff, Del Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, Sally Shackleton, and Edie Fishcamp. The wintry solstice, Tony Tonelope Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. Check them out. Great indie band from Michigan. For Independence Day, as always, I am Joe Armstrong. Happy holidays to you and yours. And if you do anything today, please be good to one another.